What is happening, everyone? Welcome back. Another episode, the Off Track Experience. In this episode of the podcast, I sit down with Simon French. Now, for those who don't know Simon French, he is leaving quite the mark in Australian mountain biking. First off with creating the trail company Dirt Art, which has grown to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, trail companies in Australia with projects spanning from the top of Australia to the bottom with, I think, about 70 to 80 people working for him now to create uh, trail networks, walking track, green, all the way up to double black trails. So he's been doing that. He's been pushing to kind of make mountain biking more accessible to everyone. Along with that, he's also has the, I would personally say, the best mountain bike park in Australia with Maidana Bike Park down in Tasmania. And he's kind of at the forefront of just pushing the sport in what I feel is the right direction with how they hold events, how they run races, how they just build trails and try and bring more people in. They're about to hold Hardline, which is considered the hardest mountain bike race in the world. So obviously to be able to have that in his event shows that there's a great deal of trust in what Simon does and his team does. So it was a really interesting chat. We ended up talking for three hours. It's the longest podcast I've ever done, but at the time flew the time flew the entire time and yeah, really enjoyed and got a lot out of it. He also talked about his time as an end of life carer where he was helping people that were terminal illness and kind of the perspective shift it gave him on we only get one life and once you're at that point when it's over it's over so don't leave anything on the table and just keep putting everything you can into it before we get into the podcast though quick word from the sponsors athletic greens so if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement supplier try out athletic greens 75 vitamins minerals and whole food ingredients go into these little satchels and they're great i've been putting them in my smoothies every morning to mix them up with some banana mango some ice some protein and just kind of getting my morning started right but i'll put the link in the description and you guys can get some free stuff free supply of vitamin d for a year and some travel packs and just try it out and see what you think but i'll leave that in the description and i hope you guys enjoy the podcast cheers everyone bye Bring this like right up, right up. Yeah, about a fist. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna hear your voice back in it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's good level. Um, yeah, yours. And well, we had wind down obviously recently. Chatting to him, I mean, totally different level of crash. But standing on the finish line there at Lenzerheide when he went down, I was like, oh man, that was just sickening. Yeah, when you see like the whack, like the actual just. Yeah, oh, and man. that last drop was gross. I mean, we were saying it to the ASO so guys when we were there. Just that shitty steep landing with no transition. So if you go slightly over it. It's just like, yeah, not cool. Do you always look at tracks and like you realize like <laughs> yeah, what you're they, picking holes and you're everything. like, oh man, this could be so much better. <laughs> yeah, but it could though. Yeah, totally. That's it. Right? Like yeah. I look at, I always go to World Cup tracks now, and you see how they've done some stuff. Like I was walking Leger when they were building it, and they were building a corner like in a ninety degree angle, and yeah. you can just see it's like this it's is not going to work. This isn't. Yeah, this isn't the one, but. What do you do? Like you just, yeah. you can't really just be like, oh mate, I kind of wanted to because yeah. he knew who I was and I was walking the track just yeah. this is weeks early and they're building yep. it. And I was like, man, come on. Like you could just, yep. just a bit more round or a bit more yeah. this, a bit more that. Yep. But anyway, we'll jump in. Yeah. Simon French, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a while. I've been chatting for a bit, trying to make 
I know at Medina when I was there last, I wanted to chat to you and chat to Reese and everyone to see how it was going, but we finally got you up here. I'm going to say you didn't come up here just to do the podcast as much as I'd like, <laughs> as much as I'd like to, but are you, why exactly are you up here? Are you still doing the sunny, sunny coast project? And is this something you want to do in Gold Coast as well? Yeah, look, I, I was up in Brisbane, basically. We left our car there. So we have a house up on the sunny coast. So I was, I got a couple of things to do up here. Uh, stopped in Sydney on the way up for a site visit there and cruised up and enjoy a bit of sunshine. But yeah, normally there's work and play in, in almost every trip. So hopefully I get a wave while I'm up here. Do you surf a bit? I'm hopeless at it, but yeah, <laughs> I try. You try. It, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Just not a lot of time to do it. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm the same. Do you feel like you're over the hump though? Of like, you know, when you're learning? No, you're not no, quite over the hump. I'm well back from that hump. I surfed heaps as a teenager. So I, I can surf, but it's one of those things, as you know, like you can't stop surfing for a few years and then just get back on and expect to be the same. It's yeah. kind of not like riding a bike. No. So I'm, I'm slowly kind of getting back into it. My kids are getting into it. So it's it's motivating me a bit to, to start getting back into it. Is that pushy when you see them? They're just like, killing it and you're like oh, okay I need well it. they're just getting started but i figure like i'm gonna they're gonna leave me behind if i if i don't get on board with them and they enjoy it so it's cool and kids pick up stuff so much quicker oh dude and they can bounce it's crazy yeah exactly <laughs> you know when you were talking before about like the young kids and you see how like how quickly they pick up and go and you're just like oh man you need to oh it's like, it's wild i was only chatting to someone last night about um just my little fella he's seven and he started to learn to jump properly, like legit jumps and saying, I haven't jumped, say, Crabapple at Whistler for a couple of years. I just don't really feel the need to. I still probably could easily enough, but scary. Mm. But now Max is going to probably jump those in a year or so. And I'm like, oh, jeez, now I'm going to have to <laughs> get back into it. <laughs> just go back and show how it's done. Yeah, exactly. It's humbling though, isn't it? When you see someone. Oh, dude. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. step out and go, oh yeah. my God, we'll actually start yeah, pushing yeah. this. And you go like. Because I, I guess that's the point. When do you go, okay, pass the torch on. That's you now. That's not That's well, not me anymore. Yeah, I've said to him, look, give me till you're 12. I want to be able to keep up until you're 12. But he's just like a rocket ship. His progression, it's wild. So how, how old is he now? He's seven. But, I mean, he rides made in a double black. So he's a legit rider. Yeah. It's, yeah. I was watching um, one of my mates coaches BMX. And he was showing me, yeah, like seven-year-olds doing like triple tail whips and like double oh, backflips. And, and BMX like, kids, yeah. Man. Yeah, like, it's mental. I watched yeah. that and I'm like, like you can have yep. that. Totally. And yep. it, yeah. And I asked him, I was like, Yeah, how old is this kid? And I think, like, Oh, this one's seven, this one's eight. And they'll <laughs> come into they'll come into the coaching session, like, Can we do backflips today? <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're seven, like just chill. But yeah, fine. Well, Max do wants it. to do it. I'm like, dude, you're gonna have to like Reese is gonna help him out, learning some flips on the tramp and kind of progressing up to it. But he's really good. Like he's great at just figuring things out and gradually progressing. He almost never crashes. He's just really dialed and calculated. And when he commits to something, it's it's done. Like he doesn't hesitate. He just does it. He goes it's for it. It's really cool. How's that feeling watching that? Because I haven't fully experienced that thing of you want to push them, but you're also just like, oh, how? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Hey, like um, I feel like it's really important to teach your kids how to deal with risk and you know make good decisions. Mm. And uh, like a good example is probably the container, like that big container feature up on freight train in Whistler. Yeah. So Max did that at six, like not the last trip we went to Whistler, but the one previous. Yeah. And he was dead set on doing this feature. He's like, we weren't leaving Whistler until Max had done the container. So we kind of worked on it. We got speed towing in and we got him dialed. But I knew he could do it. And I said to him, like, I, I know you can do it, dude, but it's entirely up to you. There's no pressure. If you want to do it, you've got the skills. You just got to... And we talked through it all and we worked it all out and we broke it down into like, get on the container, stop, get on the container, stop, and then off you go. But 
you still worry. It's like if he hesitates off the lip, which he never does, but still he's tiny. And if he sends off that thing at 40 Ks an hour or whatever, he's going to ragdoll. So it's, yeah. it's stressful, but it's so cool when they nail it. It really is. Yeah, that mindset of watching and like giving that right advice. So it, do- yeah, man. And then you just got to let go. It's like I've kind of worked through with him to get to that point. And then you're like, it's, it's all you now. Like you go, you do it. And I know you can do it, but it still scares the shit out of me. <laughs> it really do you, does. Do you reckon you get more nervous him doing stuff now than you doing stuff, even when 100%. no matter how sketchy it is? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they eat kids. You don't want them to get hurt. But equally, like you see that elation and joy they get from nailing something that they've wanted to do for ages. And you know what it's like as a yeah. writer. It's so cool. Like you can't beat that feeling. Yeah, when you really just, yeah, nail again, that kind of flow state feeling. And you're yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty special place. And to have the ability to get your kids into that space at such a young age is super cool. Mm. I was going to ask you as well, how did you actually get, because someone said, did you used to be a nurse? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I nursed for seven years, I think in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in oncology, so cancer nursing. So basically I worked most of the weekends and then I would do trail building stuff during the week, essentially. Was that, is that a pretty heavy job to see, see people in that? Yeah, yeah. State and that, like, because obviously you probably see a lot of people end of their life, kind of. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I sat with dozens of people while they died. It's pretty heavy. It's, look, honestly, though, like, you get so much from it as a human. Like, it it teaches you that raw humanity that you probably don't get anywhere else. So you do, you learn to deal with people at a level that you you just wouldn't get in everyday life. So, yeah, I, I really treasure that time. It was gnarly, and I fully respect the crew that are still there doing it. In the end, there were other things for me to move on to, but it was cool. It was really cool. What was, did it give you a different perspective on death? Like understanding that like it's just, it would be more present in your life every day or every That's few weeks. That's the or key, whatever. right? Like you'd learn to, well, for me anyway, maybe not for everyone working there, but you learn this absolute respect for the life you've got and the time you've got. I mean, probably to me a little bit too far, like I'm a little bit obsessive and just crazily trying to cram everything in, but you definitely learn not to waste it. That's probably the key thing. It's like you see people and young people too that are at that point where they don't have time left and you're like, well, shit, like I don't want to waste the time that I've got. This poor person's got days and I've hopefully got, you know, years and years and years ahead of me, but you don't want to be there at that point and go, geez, I left so much on the table. That's the thing. And you just don't know, hey. No, like that's, totally. That's the biggest yeah. thing and you've got no clue. Nope. No, nah, none of us do. That's the thing. So, look, it's heavy, but it, it really gives you a good concept and grasp of, you know, making the most of things. Mm. I felt I felt that when, obviously, I had that big crash recently. Yeah. And when I was just laying there on the ground, I was like, I just thought about all these things I'd never be able to do again. Yeah. Like that oh, was, dude, that was so heavy. As I was saying to you before, like, you watch, and I'm a super fan, right? I watch all the World Cup footage from everyone, ESO, the whole thing. And that's one of the heaviest crashes I've seen. One of those ones that just makes you feel sick. You're yeah. Like, oh. Just the yeah. fact of where I got stuck as well. Yeah. Like that position. I think that was the scariest part because like I couldn't breathe properly because my legs are pulling down on my lungs. <laughs> so I'm in this position and yeah. I've never felt that before. Just like full body's just gone. Yeah. It's like there's nothing there. And you couldn't move for a bit there, right? Like I couldn't was, move at all. Yeah. 10 minutes, no no feeling, no movement. <sighs> that's when I was going through the, yeah. the whole, we don't have, like you don't know how much time you've got. Yeah. Like you said that when you see people dying, it's yeah. like tomorrow. Because I, like obviously I wasn't dead, but imagine oh, all the things like I'd never, 
like I was like never gonna have sex again, never yeah. gonna feel what a person feels like in that way, never gonna, gonna ride my bike, not gonna ride my bike, yeah. not gonna travel, not gonna be able to like go upstairs, like just yeah. like all that's just going a million miles. Yeah. No, that's gnarly. And yeah, oh man. But one one really cool thing I will say though is when I wasn't in that really super negative loop, I would just be like, okay, what can I focus on that's gonna bring some happiness into this moment. Yeah. And just like real little things like the sun on my skin, leaves going in like the wind. And yeah, I got so yeah. present in those little moments of feelings. Like I can feel it now. And it's cool that you can find that like that. In that, in yeah. In that state. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I feel like I was joking about, <laughs> this is, this might sound super weird, but you know, people say they manifest things. Yeah. I did a podcast, this is ages ago, and I've said it for a while. Because I was always really scared that one day I could paralyze myself. In, yeah, in well, that's Daniel. like almost the ultimate fear, right? I think, yeah, that's, yeah, that's like lose, yeah, lose. Yeah. It. But that was something I consciously thought about when I would race. And then I remember I had this mind shift where I thought about it. And I was like, well, at least if it happened, I'd have more time to focus on the podcast. So I was like, that could be a positive. Yeah, that yeah, could you come found something out. Something of it. I'd yeah. be like, okay, well, this door shut, this window's open. Yeah. So I openly said that on a podcast, and then right at the end of my career oh, when it's about to finish yeah. i almost paralyzed myself and then look put more effort into the podcast yeah it's such a weird yeah yeah life's weird man oh, it really is i thought about yeah. that the other day i was like i fully wrote this out and, <laughs> and, and and saw it but i was gonna ask how did you go from okay nursing and obviously giving this perspective on life and shit i need to do something and then you went okay b-zone we're going to go build trails start dirt art start Medina. like what was the i guess the steps from that to that yeah i mean it's probably multiple steps same with most things in life <laughs> i suppose but yeah look i'd i started building trails more formally back in 2005 so we were involved and built the glenorchy downhill course that ran a few national series rounds just as volunteers like we just loved it we were always building trails as kids so we did that and then a bunch of councils started kind of reaching out to me locally to say, hey, can you help out with this? Can you help out with this? We need you to come and give us some advice on this. And it's like, well, shit, now I have to get insurance and now I have to, you know, kind of formalise this thing or I can't work with these guys. And you kind of just start that treadmill and then all of a sudden it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And eventually, like we've got about 70, 75 guys on the trail building crew now. And, like, you know, teams just everywhere. We do a heap of massive walking trail stuff too. So... It just snowballs. Like it was one of those things, probably luck too, like right time, right place, I suppose. Um, the industry has kind of just kept going and going and going and particularly over COVID, there's been that big boom. So it's just kind of kept growing. And there was a point oh, about, as I said, seven or so years into nursing where I'd literally pushed about as hard as I could in terms of my rostering and everything else. And I just kept winding my hours back and back and back. And I was working like seven days a week, every week like you know big hours too and you get to a point you're like i just this is silly like what am i doing with this nursing thing like it's not really where i want to be it's been great it's got me to where i need to be and having that flexibility with rostering and things was great but i just got to a point and i was like i just need to need to leave and then i just jumped off the edge and away we went and was there a <laughs> moment when you were just like today's the day like what was it the, was there a tipping point or something that you kind of felt and you're like all right there was no catalyst for it really like there was no one event where i was like all right i'm i'm done like this is it i've had enough it was more just a gradual point of reaching it and saying look i'm i don't need to do this anymore like mm -hmm. i can focus on my own stuff and i'm at a point where i think i can sustain it 
And look, to be honest, the bike park was kind of similar thing. Like we, we'd sort of worked on the planning and you get to a point where you've put so much time, energy and money into it. And you're like, I'm either going to turn left and forget about it and just always wonder about what would have happened or turn right and just send it off and, <laughs> and hope for the best. So uh, there's been a few moments like that in my life where you just got to make a decision and, you know, it's kind of one of those all in decisions that I don't really have a plan B. I think for me personally, it's, like, you know, I'm not going to fall on my face and never get up again, but I've never really wanted to have this, you know, oh, if that doesn't quite work, I'll do this or that, or it's like, I'm just going to do this and, and do it. I think plan Bs destroy plan As. Yeah, totally. It just erodes it away because you, you don't, you're not fully focused on it. You're not, you've always got something to, and look, I guess I always did have something to fall back on, but I let my nursing registration lapse and it was another one of those ones where I was like, ah, you know, I'm never going to go back to do the re-entry bullshit that you yeah. have to do. Like, yeah, I'll still do a bit of medical stuff here and there, like around the bike park and things. But, you know, that, that chapter's closed, I think, for me. Mm. I think, like you said there, it's you've got these two things and one's pulling you into it and the other one's kind of there still. And I think so many people get caught on that oh, but I'm, I've always done this, so I'm good at this, or this is whatever. Yeah. But then their actual thing they're passionate about is just... You just yeah, you fall into the trap, hey? And I, I see it with a lot of people, and I try and, I guess, impart some of my experience now and then to people when they ask. But you see so many people at the end of their career, and they're pretty miserable about it. And they're like, look, I, work's work, right? Like, I've turned up seven or five days a week for 40 years of my career, and it hasn't been terrible. I haven't suffered, but there's no meaning for them in their work. And to me, like that's that whole work life balance thing. Like to me, there is no work life balance. It's just life. Yeah. Like it's all life for me. And like even saying coming up here and it's like, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of work stuff going on, but I'm still living my life. Like <laughs> there's still plenty happening. So I think it's important for me anyway, personally that, you know, you get to the end of whatever your career might be. And it's like, I've actually done something like I've, I've left some kind of mark and I've, I feel like I've achieved something. And I've enjoyed it. So, yeah, to me, work's not work. It's, it's just life. Mm, and you get to create so much when you're doing that work as well. But I, I said this the other day where it's like if you're not doing that thing that you love, like it's dangerous. And yeah. I compare dangerous to like I obviously hurt myself because I wasn't fully committed to that yeah. thing. And even though it's a cool thing, like nursing would have had its fulfillment. It would have had really good moments, but it wasn't like feeding your soul. Yeah, and, and it, like, look, it was for a while, for sure. Like, oh, it, it definitely with, was for a while. Same with racing as well. But you got to realise that, you know, the, the sun's going to set on it at some point. And mm. I think people f often fall into that trap of like, hey, I'm making really good money. I'm working my way up the food chain in whatever career I'm in. But eventually, a lot of people start to get over it mm. and you start to get shitty and, you know, you can just hang on too long. So you're like, oh, I've got a mortgage and I've got kids and I've got this reliable income. It's like, that's great. But if you're not happy, then what's the point at the end of the day? Mm. I Yeah, I fully agree with that. You get trapped in this mindset. It's like, I need this to obtain this. Yeah. And I guess for you, like as a racer, it's, it's almost harder again. Like that's sort of built into your personality and your, <laughs> you know, who you are, your, your identity and everything else. Like not saying you're leaving it behind. Like I know you've got some really cool plans, but that must be hard, right? Like to, to make that transition. I guess in a way, but I felt like I went through this when COVID happened. I felt True. like like yeah. COVID was like the, the not the catalyst, kind of the catalyst to this actually. Yep. Because I had the best season of my life in 2019, finished top 10 in the overall, which was like a goal as a kid. Like mm. top 10 is like, man, you're top 10 in the world. That's, that's epic. So I had that and I knew I could 
like I was improving, like I was going in the yeah. right direction. And then COVID happened, forced retirement, have to stay home, yeah. can't race. Like I felt pretty lost for a little bit there. Just I was lose like, that momentum, right? Yeah, well, it's like who you are is so imprinted in this. Yeah. And, but that's when I went through that feeling of who am I and retirement yeah. and all that. And then it's funny because have you heard Tony Robbins say, if you want to take the island, you've got to burn the boats? Yeah. So exactly. when that happened, it created all these other boats. Yeah. It's like winning the downhill world cup was like the island. Yeah. And, and there's always it, a boat or you, you there's swim, always, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something, yeah, yeah. That's going to draw you away from it. And I think yeah. COVID just brought all these things into place. And then yeah. I was like, okay, accepted. It was all good with it. But then after that, I've never been, was able to race to that ability. Yeah. Like I, from 2019 and then until now, I just was, you know, when you're doing something because you're like, I'm pretty good at it yeah. and someone wants to pay me to do it and I don't hate it. Like, it's not like this is the worst job in the world, but I don't love it anymore. So I, yeah. I'm not going to push that. It's like the dream job for most people who love their writing. Not everyone, you know, but yeah. like to give that up is, is surely pretty hard when you're still there, but maybe not there in your, you know, your motivation yeah, I just knew I wasn't there because my heart wasn't in it. Like yeah, exactly. I, w- I know how hard you have to push yep. to be where those guys are and I just stopped wanting to push that. Yeah. I was like, it's not worth, the risk isn't worth the reward. I I, kept, I said to someone like the the highs are, are not that high and the lows are really low. Yeah, and it's not, the juice is not worth the squeeze. And the standard now is insane. Oh, it's like, crazy, It's man. mental. Like 10 years ago, you could probably be that guy or that girl and you could still hang there and, you know, get top 10s. Yeah. But... Not, not now. <laughs> me and Connor always joked about it. We're like, man, you could have like a like a semi-decent run, make a mistake and still get top 20 pretty easy. Yeah. And now it's like if you're not perfect, you're probably not even going to qualify. Yeah. Well, back when I was racing as a junior, like I won a national champs without even training. Like we just didn't train. <laughs> like it wasn't a thing. And then you had like I was in that Sam Hill area. Randy was like a little bit older than me. Like that crew, like they all started training eventually. But when we were racing Aussie Nats and things, like we weren't doing much training. <laughs> we were just having fun. Well, in saying that, do you think the way it's going in the professionalness, how it's becoming more professional and more money and less riders and more like all that, good or bad? Like, what do you think? And like, what do you think is good? Yeah, uh, yeah, I got lots of opinions on that one. I, I think oh, share and better <laughs> town because I do as well, and I get I get hassled. That's one yeah. good thing about like stepping away from it and actually just being like having an opinion and not having. Yeah, like backlash. Like, dude, I, when I joked about the cross and downhill's dead, people like riders went off at me, <laughs> like fully went off at me. Yeah, out. right. And then I had arguments with them. Yeah, and I'm explaining why I think this. And, yeah, and I was like, watch the video because you haven't even seen the video we're gonna put out. Yeah, and at the start, I'm like, downhill isn't dead. Like yep. that's the first sentence I say, yeah, but he's yeah. like, you think it's dead and all this right. stuff. I'm like, no, man, you don't get it. <laughs> nah. No, no. Look, I got mixed view. I mean, I sort of see, I see the back end of it and the organizational side like obviously we hosted a world cup earlier in the year and we worked pretty closely with chris ball and his team and i I know a bunch of that crew anyway so i definitely get that kind of picture from behind the scenes a little bit and i do think there's some value in a lot of value in where they're trying to take the sport i think the the end goal is valid maybe not perfect but i think it's valid but i guess my concern is there's such a huge gap between where we are now and where they want to get the sport. And then the argument too is like, do we want to have downhill athletes being Formula One level athletes? Like there's a whole box and dice that comes with that. Like, yeah, there's a shitload more money, but do we lose the soul of the sport along the way? And then there's the more, 
I guess venue side of things, like we obviously operate a big venue. We want to host future World Cups. Uh, there's a massive cost now associated with the broadcast that comes back onto the venue. And we do it generally as a marketing exercise at the end of the day. Like that's the value from a venue point of view and just because it's fucking cool. Mm. Like we love doing it. I love events, always loved events. Like we want to do that stuff because it's just super fun to do and we feel like it's valuable. We can make a contribution to the sport but it's hard now. A lot of the smaller venues, I think, are going to get squeezed out and you're going to see these big venues that have big dollars, big government behind them. I mean, you even see it a bit in Australia, to be honest. Like, Do you get grants and stuff for, to, to host it? Yeah, we do. Um, but I guess we have a small government. So to put it in perspective, to host a, a Enduro World Cup, several hundred thousand dollars in outgoings, and you don't bring a, a fraction of that in. Like, there's no way... You could just pop up a bike park and go, hey, I'm going to host an Enduro World Cup and fund it yourself. Like, it just doesn't happen. Um, no one can do that. You're looking at the big results and things. So government support is critical and they look at it and they go, well, look, you're going to bring X amount of people in and you do your whole economic impact analysis and you get used to kind of knowing what they want to see from a grants point of view. So that's a huge part of it. But if we go to the government and say, hey, we need millions of dollars to host a World Cup, the value proposition's not there. So I guess on one side, I worry that you're going to lose some of those core kind of rider-focused venues like us, mm-hmm. where we're still working towards it. Like hopefully we can figure it out, but it's hard from a financial point of view. How much more are they asking? Not how much are they asking, but how much more are they asking for than they used to? Or you can tell me how much. It's up to you. I don't know if that's information. <laughs> yeah, I don't share. have the exact figures. Like we, I was in New Zealand the other week. We're trying to kind of work out a bit of a thing where New Zealand hosts a World Cup, we host a World Cup, we kind of kick off the series. So we're doing a bit of work in that space. Uh, it costs a lot. Like it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a, it's a lot more than that. But would it be like just from going off last year to now, just say, is it double or is it not quite double? Or Yeah, I, probably double. But I don't like, we haven't got to that point in our discussions with Warner Brothers about exactly what it's going to look like. You just know it's gone up a lot. It's gone up a lot. Yeah, it's definitely gone up a lot. And look, the the broadcast is good. The commentary is a whole other piece. Like, (laughs) I don't know whether you want to open that that can of worms. No, go to town. (laughs) Go go, go to town. Oh, look, honestly, I I think Rick did a good job. Like, I think he did pretty good. I I think when Gwyn was involved, it was awesome. Cedric... Not so much. Sorry, Cedric. But uh, for me, it just didn't really work. It's hard to have a French person that speaks French commentate for an English audience. It's just... I find that because I really like Cedric. I get along with him really well, but yeah. it's like the commentary and thing. he's a just, legend. Yeah. Yeah, but I just don't think... He didn't do it for me. I, when you've got guys like Carlso, who I think would be great, Windmasters, who would be great, there's a bunch of the women that would be great. Like, I, I just feel like we could do better in mm. that space. I think what they're doing is awesome, but probably one of the key things is if they want to cull the fields right down, which I'm not totally averse to. Like, I love the idea of the scrappy van life side of things and getting into the World Cup and so many of our Maidena crew are doing that and it's sick. I think it's amazing. But if you want to cull those fields down and squeeze those guys and girls out, we need a really good feeder series. And that's one of the things that we're trying to work on down here. Like in Europe, you've got the IXS Cup, which is pretty big series and, and acts as sort of a de facto feeder series into the World Cup, which is awesome. But we got nothing down here. You've got Oz Cycling trying to piece together this national series They're not really doing it properly. They're not really working with the venues properly. I don't know. I I feel like at a national level we're struggling and that's where, again, we're in New Zealand trying to figure out, like, what can we do? Can we build this continental series in Australia? Can we have two rounds, one in each country? UCI points on all the rounds and that's your feeder series then into the World Cup. So 
that's one of the other things that we're working on because I would think would you link it into like would you link it into like a crankworks or would that be, maybe you'd want to be separate? I, I think separate yeah, yeah maybe I mean it could overlap other events it might overlap things we're doing maybe it overlaps cannonball I, I don't know I mean we're just kind of throwing ideas around at the moment trying to get some support from venues and the organizations over there to come back and say well look we've got this idea and then take that to Warner Brothers and say look this has got to happen like for Aussie juniors we need something here to give these guys and girls a pathway into the world cup and if you're going to make it harder and harder for them to get in how do they get in like if you look at the results this year you still had a bunch of arguably random people that were way up there and unexpected like Charlie Hutton winning world champs (laughs) amazing like yeah a bunch of people probably expected it I sure as shit didn't but then you had a bunch of other athletes that are creeping up into the top 10 that otherwise wouldn't have even made the cut of the top 20 because they, they made that rapid progression up through the ranks. Well, look at look at Ollie Davis for perfect That's it, example. Ollie's a great he, example. He didn't even qualify for the first two rounds and then yeah. it was obviously a slow burn to get where he is now. And then at the end of the, end of the year... 15th or something? I can't remember, but he was up there. He got, I think he got a top 10 in the yeah. top 20 at Worlds and then I think he got a top 10 at Ludon VL. Yep. Maybe just outside at Leger. Like he's just bang, bang, bang. Yeah. It was like, okay, we did well now. We know what to do and yep. then just keep doing it. Yeah, I think honestly the sport's in a really good place, I think is is what I firmly believe. Obviously the industry's got its own struggles at the moment, but that's all going to work itself through the system at some point. But the sport's in an amazing place. More people are riding than ever before. There's so much interest in racing. I just feel like there's a few missing pieces and maybe one of the other big things with the, the whole Warner Brothers change is just the communication, like what we hear a lot from the riders and look from a venue point of view as well. It's like, just talk to us more, like start talking to us about what you want out of a venue. Like what can we do to support what you're trying to do? Like, can we provide that feeder series? What do you want from us from a world cup? Like what can we do to improve the world cup for you? Like, I feel like when we hosted it down in Medina, we, we threw the, the kitchen sink at that thing. Like we built a full downhill style finish bowl. Like we had a big party bar on the hill. Like we, th- we had a guided spectator ride. Like we just came up with a whole bunch of ideas and we're like, we're just going to do this shit. And then the guys come down and they're like, this is awesome. Like we haven't seen an event like this before for enduro. Like it's more like a downhill race. It's really got that atmosphere. And they did the reseeding of the last round, the last st- stage which I think was awesome. Like you had your top hype, 30, eh? you've got the hype. And then if you could eventually broadcast that, like that enduro space is obviously what suffered this year. And that's what we're looking at in 2025 is like tentatively looking at an enduro world cup. But I mean, what's enduro even going to be doing in 2025? Like it was a pretty flat year. And then next year looks even worse. It's just Europe, right? You know what would, I feel like this could save that. Why don't you just televise the last stage? That's it. And that's what I said Why to don't you just Chris tele- and, and the then guys the other day. I was like, just that's televise. A product. That's yeah, a, exactly. It's you, like a downhill race. Then. Yeah. Then you've got a downhill race on last Perfect. stage. Yep. You've just got seven, eight minutes. It's like, it would be coming, coming in before it. Yeah. There you go. And that's it. it. You've that's got the same, maybe you've got a couple more cameras or you just get over it. You don't televise the whole thing. Like they're so stressed about televising every meter of the course, which is cool. But, but it's so much more work. Yeah, Like, exactly. why don't you just make this little thing, t- tr- like, trial yeah. that? That would give so much more, like, value. Because what are you buying in an enduro race? It's like, you don't see anything. Exactly, The yeah. pits are dead. Like, you, it's... Well, you look boring. at, I think it was Leo Gang, where Reese Werner, chatting to him and the team, like, he won his first enduro World Cup on a Thursday <laughs> at 8.30 at night. And there's no one there. It's like, dude, I, that sucks. <laughs> like, that really sucks. There should have been thousands of people there, like, celebrating that with you. Mm. But instead, like, you rode out to 
butt fuck nowhere for three hours in the morning. No one saw you all day. And then you come back at night and everyone's gone home to bed. Like that's, that's so that, hard. that doesn't work. I don't I don't yeah. understand why they ran why they ran them at eight o'clock for one and why they ran them on the Thursday. Look, I, I, I don't get it. Like, where's the... I think the idea is not... Like, it, it is merit in trying to bring them together, but it didn't work this year. Not from an outsider's perspective who's I, looking at it from a broadcast point of view. It's like, the downhill is going to take the attention for the time being because it's got the broadcast. It is, you know, cliche, but the Formula One of the sport. But Enduro is sick. And those guys and girls are such talented riders like if we could televise that stage five or six or whatever it is for that event amazing be so good for the sport and when they came just because you could run them just say leo gang do it again why don't they just run them so they came down after the downhill qualifying at least on the same day yeah so then a crowd you've got a crowd you've got a crowd you've got people there you can still run at eight o'clock, which I wouldn't recommend, but if that was, yeah. there's no other option. But you need the crowd. And this is what we really try to pull together. And we're, we're doing it with the hardline event, but with the Enduro World Cup, it's like the, the crowd makes the event in many ways. Like, you know, you can dial the course, you know, your venue's sorted, but if you've got thousands of people there screaming along the side of the course, like that's a whole other level. Like you look at the big events, like Leger in France is just renowned for the crowd, right? And, and I don't know, maybe it's off-putting as a racer. but oh, No, I love it, yeah. man. I think it's great. When you can't hear anything, literally nothing besides just that white noise yeah. of people screaming, oh, it puts you in the nuts. zone. Like I think it was stage four in that Medina World Cup. We had the DJ there. We had the stage Stoke start. Wizard. The Stoke Shout Wizard. Shout out Stoke Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like hundreds of people screaming. And I was there for Dan Booker, obviously local hero. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, holy shit, I hope we haven't ruined this for him. Like nah, it's pretty full on. But no, that... The crew loved it by and large, but it was very loud. It was mental. I, I saw mental. some footage. I was like, this is, this is <laughs> epic. I was just talking to Richard the other day, Stoke Wizard. Yeah. He said you put him on again to do we have, the yeah, hard yeah. line. Yeah. Like, man, that's, you need to build an experience for someone. Like, you, yep. you, okay, sweet, you've got a race. Everyone can have races, but what's the experience you're building? Like, and that's when you have and DJs. The spec- yeah, that's the thing with the spectators. So, like, for hard line, we're going to run a spectator shuttle. We've got, like, a dedicated course walk past all the big jumps. Like, it is an actual product. Like people yeah. can buy that product, come here and engage with it. They know exactly what they're doing. Come up here. There's a bar. You can get cocktails. There's going to be a DJ. There's going to be burgers. And then you can walk your way down the course and see the whole thing. Like that's what people want. It's so simple. Like it's, it's it, it is like simple. It is. Yeah. Like it's like hard to nail all of it properly and like do it. But well, it's, Yeah, but they're all just bits and pieces. And I feel like yeah. a lot of places, like Cannonball is a good one. Amazing event to go as a spectator. But a lot of other events and the World Cups too, they just don't really get that bit right. There wasn't even a walking track at Ludon Vial. Yeah. So they, they were climbing fences and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, they're the people that promote everything that goes on at this event. Yeah. And you're making them climb over fences in the mud. And it's like, how does that, how are they going to want to, prom- yeah. Like, and you don't think they're going to be writing the review of the track and yeah. they've just been sliding down their ass because there's no track there. You think they're going to be kind about it? It's like, that's yeah, how you it, create something that. Exactly. And you, you want them to come back. Like, ex- yeah. We, you don't want spectators to only come once and then be like, that sucked. Like, mm. I'm not going to bother going back again. And the other thing we're really trying to grow is that just general spectator audience, like the non mountain bikers. It's like if there's a massive event coming and you're near a city, like, why don't you come out? It's like a nitro circus or, you know, some other big action sport event. It's like that crowd is like a whole other group of people that we should be getting to those big mountain bike events. Would you do like for promotional stuff, just say in Hobart, would you go out like the weekend before and have like a pre-party 
thing to try and just promote We've hype in town. We've got all kinds of things going on um, for that hardline event in particular, but trying to engage that kind of broader audience, mm. definitely. We haven't done any of it yet. We're going to do it a little bit closer to the event. Like at the moment, it's been more kind of core audience, mountain bike focused, but very much kind of looping in and bringing that whole Hobart crowd out yeah. as like the next wave. But because they live there anyway, they don't need to plan travel and all those things. Mm. So it's doing it now, we might do it too early is really the thing. I guess it's also trying to get people in from like obviously all of Oz because it's not it's that, not was that the, hard. That was the rush. Like this thing kind of came in relatively last minute in the end. It's like we really need to get this out the door because it's a for a lot of people it's like tra- what well, is traveling overseas technically for most of our audience. It's like relatively expensive flight and a relatively expensive ferry that books out like that. Mm. So it is a bit of a, a thing to kind of get people organized to come over but people have responded really well but i think the next year will be you know massive massive when we get the dates out and people can plan ahead a little more how is it looking for because i know a com in medina is there is no com in there medina is, <laughs> <laughs> no, there, is, there any, a, is there any plans yeah. like put more cabins put little units or something just to have more accommodation for when big events like this do go yeah down? there's stuff going on i mean we've got a camping and cabin park going through council at the moment it's just been a nightmare trying to get all the approvals we've been working on it for years basically but that we, we might have the approvals early next year but we're going to do camping on there anyway just with an event permit but by the time we roll into 2025, that'll be all fully operational. We're doing like a spa sauna cold plunge thing on the river and it's it's going to be awesome. But that won't be ready quite in time. And there is people needing wanting to do stuff, but it's just a hard time economically. Like we're kind of hit this upward trajectory of visitors and just growth around the park at the same time as the economy is just <laughs> tanked and interest rates are up. So people are like, I don't really want to invest in a property because i'm just paying my mortgage at the moment so i think once that sort of levels out and we we get plenty of interest but it hasn't transpired and look we've been only around for five years but we've got heaps of land there (coughs) ourselves so we're looking at doing some stuff it's one of those things like i'll often sit back a little bit and just wait for people to do things and if they don't you're just like oh fuck it i'll just just do it myself yeah (laughs) yeah exactly now i do know what you mean and i guess did you look at Derby of how that kind of how that's evolved into what it is now and look at that as like the perfect like, well, this kind of can't go in, go wrong in a way? Yeah, yes and no. I mean they're there's they're a really different product to us at the start. Like we went pretty hard in the kind of really tough, gnarly mountain bike, steep stuff, like we had massive hill, eight hundred meters of vert and really steep terrain. Like we wanted to be a I guess an elite level riding facility when we launched. Um, Derby was very much kind of a mass market kind of trail riding enduro product Mm. and now we've kind of evolved and turned into a lot more of that but in terms of that investment model around accommodation that's still going to happen with us um Mm. they were at a similar time to us when they saw most of that going on so we're going to get there it's just one of those things where i think a lot of people have looked at us and they're like oh i don't really want to start a restaurant in medina because those guys have already got a restaurant and they're not going to be supportive of my restaurant and it's like the, the absolute opposite we're like we'd love you want the whole thing to grow yeah exactly yeah, yeah it'll the, the rising tide will float all the boats yeah. it's like it will get a lot more people if there's a lot more things there to do and our food's great but if you do great food too you'll do just fine yeah so because that it needs to become i guess more of a location because derby had the benefit of being a drive-through town so people are going to stop in on the way and, exactly and that's yeah. the thing with you guys you're you're at the end of the not end of the kind road of the end of the road but i mean the national park down the road gets nearly three hundred thousand people a year we're gradually kind of working to drag some of that crowd up 
got a new kind of bougie restaurant um, with kind of wine tasting and other things that we bring online over the summer. The summit venue's awesome. Um, we're gradually sort of trying to do a bit more with that at the top of the mountain. We've got hiking trails going in this summer, some like safari, full drive, big trees tours, and then a spa sauna thing. So we're gradually getting there. But like I say, it's, it's, it's a lot to do as a small family business. Like we're, we're just encouraging more and more people to to get on board and, and do some stuff. And people are keen. Like they, they're starting to get keener and keener. Like it's probably every week now I get a message from a few of the big pros. They're like, hey, I've seen this house. I want to buy a house down there. It looks sick. Yeah. So yeah, we're gradually kind of getting there. Dude, I came close to buying the the Oval. The oval oh, true. Yeah, sale. that's yeah. right next door to my place. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. bringing up about that because I was like, but then I was trying to look at permitting and all this other yep. stuff that went along with it. And just with racing and everything, I didn't yeah. end up doing it. But it was definitely in my mind yeah. because- I know you have the vision of how this could be and will yep. be. I guarantee like it will get yeah. there. It's just the time frame of when that happens is... Yeah, totally. I mean, we've got a plan and we're, we're gradually ticking off things on that plan. Um, it always happens too slow for me, but that's just me wanting things to move quicker. I think when you try and be objective and step back, you're like, actually, we're, we're, we've done a hell of a lot in a pretty short period of time, but you just always want things to be faster 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 man i preach that right now like i was gonna say with the injury with getting nerves back it's just like yeah. come on come on come on like give yeah like hurry your, the fuck up. your body's slowly just waking <laughs> yeah. up and you're like come on man yeah, yeah. More. but yeah like you said it'll get there like it'll yeah it's getting there and, and you kind of you have to stop sometimes you're like hey we've only been doing this for five years it's like it's not very long it's really not very long and arguably the best mountain bike park in australia by far yeah, look, we're, we're one of the best, definitely. And I look, I think best all round. Yeah. Like, there's some places where you've got a bit, but even this, okay, so you could say Threadbow's better, but they've got a chairlift. But Threadbow's, I, Threadbow's awesome. It's just totally different. Like, I different. go to Threadbow because I want to ride the lift and I want to hang out in the resort. Like, yeah. if you want to do, like, I've ridden so many, as you would have, so many different places around the world. What we do mm. is, like, a really core rider-focused product. Like, the trails are sick. There's a great, massive variety of them. It's not a huge resort town. Like you don't come to Maiden at a party. It's not like Queenstown where you're riding and partying. It's like you're here to ride and you're here to do cool shit. Um, take a six pack of beer on an amazing bushwalk to a cave system and waterfalls and things like it's just a different kind of vibe. But the community is really building now around the park, which is awesome. Like when people are moving into the town to live and ride and it's a different kind of vibe, which is it's cool. Like we love it out there. Mm. But yeah, we just need a bit more calm and a bit more food and beverage, other things. So just to just to kind of bring people and get them to stay. Yeah, get there. them to stay. Mm. Um, we've got plans to to build like a little mini resort town in the lower part of our property, like all that kind of stuff, like bottle shops and supermarkets and all that kind of thing. Like that's all in the pipeline over the next several years. But we need other people to kind of come along for the journey as well. If, I was going to say, if you were just to guess a time frame, when do you when could you see it getting to a point where you're like this was kind of the vision that I had on this. Well, like roughly what would you get? Like a 10 year plan or more? Or less? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I mean, if you look back now, we're already so far beyond what I thought it would be <laughs> yeah. when I first started, but I, I forget that. And I kind yeah. of look back and I go, Oh fuck, I wish things would just move faster. But then you kind of think back to standing on that hill when there's nothing there, like 10 years ago. And it's like, I never thought we would have been here. So yeah. How did you end up in Medina? How did that become the spot that you ended up at? Oh, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll be brief. <laughs> we, we got, I was going to say, we got time, man. We got yeah. time. Um, so I went back there. 2008, Forestry Tasmania, the state logging company, they had the site and they'd put the building at the top and they built a road up to the top and they were going to do like a big tourism development there of their own and they had a funicular railway, like a ground-based cable car planned. 
basically all the planning got messed up for that and they had a crooked they cleared a crooked route for the cable car and then like no one could build it so they got all these engineers in for europe they'd already put this 10 million dollar building on the top of the hill like they'd already sunk bulk cash into this thing and they had this fucking crooked cable car route you know it's comical but it's actually true so they they couldn't do anything with it so they called me up this is like early days obviously oh eight hadn't been doing it for very long there was no such thing as a bike park in the country there was a little bit of stuff in threadbow a little bit of stuff in buller but you know not a legit yeah not bike park so we did a concept plan for them for this massive like Whistler style bike park and they were super keen and they reckon they could fund it. It was all kind of moving in a really good place. And then at the last minute, they're like, nah, we're, we're giving up on tourism completely. Like this tourism gig is fucked. It's not working out for us. So the whole thing just went belly up, right? And nothing happened there for another five years or so. And then the government put this um, expressions of interest process out. They're like, we've got this random building on top of a hill got handed back to parks and wildlife they're like we don't know what the hell to do with it like is anyone in the business community got any ideas so i saw all that come out and i was like oh would be cool but it's still nah too early so that kind of got passed in and nothing happened and we just forgot about it again and then the government released another a, a kind of broader expression of interest process for all of the parks estates and that was it's been about 2014 or 15 and that this time I looked at it and I was like, all right, now we're in a position where I think we should actually have a really good crack at this thing. So put a proposal together, took like three years to kind of negotiate all the leasing. There was private land we had to get through. There was like four different people on the shuttle roads. Like there's this massive, massive process. Um, took us ages to get the approval to go through the private logging land. Like that was probably nearly two years negotiating that. And then we went through there and we built all the trails and they just threw the toys out of the cot because they didn't realise how big the trails were going to be. And we just like decimated their plantation area because the trails were so wide. So they... Really? Yeah, so they, they, they would not totally have cracked it. Yeah, but then like <laughs> pure luck, but they were in the process of selling all their land because they needed the money. They were having some financial trouble. And we were like, well, hey, you know, you sell all that land to this company and they're going to let you do all your forestry ops why don't you just sell us this little bit and then we'll be out of your way and you never have to deal with us again so we ended up actually buying a whole bottom half of the hill from the the logging company as part of this bigger transaction and then it was funny actually they sold us the wrong land (laughs) because they were selling like a thousand different property titles like so did the wrong one yeah we got the settlement from the lawyers it's like oh here you go your settlement's gone through here are your titles and i was like that's not the right titles. Like they sold us. They sold our bike park to someone else, basically, and we had to undo the whole thing. Go through it. Yeah, yeah. What but did you get somewhere? It's just next door, like just some next... random shitty old bit of land. Was it better or worse? No, it was worse. I was way worse. <laughs> yeah. I was it was way better. Like, no, no, we'll no just, yeah, we're, we're, we're good. We're good. We're, we're good. We'll take yeah. that. No, no. But so it was a process. I mean, it's still like we have a long-term lease with the government, similar to a ski resort for the top of the hill. We own the bottom, but. Then we had the primary school at the bottom and the council came to us. That's where our base building is. And the school hadn't been there for 10 years before we started, five or 10 years. And we were just going to build this janky little building there to operate the bike park out of up on the hill. They came to us and they said, oh, do you want to buy the the primary school? And I was like, well, yeah, I suppose. Like, depends on the the deal, but I'm happy to do it. And they said, I'll just do a peppercorn lease, like pay a dollar a year for the first year until we figure out the sale agreement. So we did this sale agreement was all done like we had a signed sealed sale agreement with them and we were just leasing the building and it, it kept going for a few years and i wasn't too stressed i was like oh, i'm paying a dollar a year for this thing it's a pretty good deal i've got my sale agreement i'm not too worried and then they ring me up one day and they said oh 
you know that sale agreement we actually had a deal with the government when they gave us the building that we weren't allowed to rent it to you and if you're not allowed to rent it at all and if they rent it commercially it voids the transfer of the property so the building was actually owned by the state government so they were like uh we can't sell it to you anymore (laughs) i was like fuck and by this point we'd spent like half a million dollars in the building fitting it all out and New kitchen and the whole turning it into what it is, yeah, turning into what it is today with the view that we were going to buy it. So in the end, it sort of rolled into our lease with the rest of the the property. But it's just been this constant, you know. So you don't do you do you own it? So do you own it now? You still no, we're we're still going to try and buy it out off the government. So there is still this kind of gentleman's agreement that they will sell it to us at some point. But we're actually looking at building a whole new building for the base operations of the park and sort of tying in a potential lift and a few other things a little bit further up the hill. I was going to ask you that. What's the... Everyone asks. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants... The chairlift question. Everyone wants to know, yeah. Because that's obviously pipe dream goal. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. And we will get there. Um, Part of the work... So we went to Europe um, earlier in the year just to look at a whole bunch of different lift systems. We looked at the ground-based lift systems. We messed around with that a little bit. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a big goal. So initially we looked at putting in a high speed quad detachable, like where the lift slows down and lets you on and off. It's like $10 million or so to do that. Mm. So it's like probably not the best fit, Yeah. but yeah, don't know where we'll go with it, to be honest. Uh, look, we'll get there probably five years. We've said five years we'll have a lift, but it might be like a secondhand lift with a, you know, a nice system, but not the, the bougie bells and whistles thing. But I get the other thing is you need the infrastructure there to help. Like if it's okay, you put the lift in, no one, where's people, where we're, I can't talk, where are people going to sleep? Yeah, that's and it. And then. And that's where we've kind of left. Like I've said, we want the lift by year 10, which is, you know, five years away from now to give people an understanding of like, this is where we want to be in year 10, but we need you to come along with us. Like we need some little hotels. We need some accommodation. We need some other people to do shit. Like, that the time now is so ripe for investment in the town because the buy like the buy price for property is so low, mm. like it hasn't seen that growth of a lot of the other like Derby's sort of at seven hundred grand now, so for a house and dropped from nearly a mil, mm. but we're sort of sitting at four hundred, mm. and it's like there's such a huge area of growth above the current price as we kind of get these bigger events and things moving. So mm. it's a great time to do stuff and look as I say, a lot of people are interested, gradually moving towards things, but. Again, too slow for, for, for me. Yeah, you want. Yeah, I think that's always going to be the thing you want it to be be faster. Yeah, like always. No matter what yeah. it is. Yeah, but I guess you just got to keep up with the whole idea of okay, everything needs to go in place when you're building it as well. Because yep. even the chairlift thing gets thrown around at Bride all the time. Like yeah, exactly. It. And I just thought about it, I was like, how do you put a chairlift here and bring that many more people in, and you can't put a doctor in at the local hospital? Like every time yeah. someone hurts themselves, it's like, all right, go to Wang. Yeah, it I'm doesn't like, work, right? I'm like, this yeah. is an extreme sports like yep. spot in Australia for paragliding, for downhill, for running, for hiking. Yeah. And you hurt yourself and it's like, all right, drive an hour. Yeah. And it's, I mean, all, there's a whole thing that goes along with a lift. Like you've got to have a rescue team there for lift yeah. rescue. Like all the stuff that people don't really think of. They're like, oh, the lift just takes me up and down. It's like if the lift breaks down, you've got to have a rescue team there all the time to take people down off the chairs. Like it's not as bad in summer because you're not going to freeze to death, but you still have to have all these different systems in place. Like if a bus breaks down now, it doesn't happen very often, but if it does, we just pick them up in another bus. Like it's pretty easy. So the system works okay at the moment, but we're looking, first stage would be a lift to the top of the land we own, which is about 320, 30 of vertical. So really similar to Fitz chair at Whistler, which a lot of people would be familiar with. So we will build like a whole bike park underneath the main park basically 
serviced by that lift is the plan and then shuttle bus people to the top of the mountain it's the kind of working model because obviously 800 vert in a gondola or a chairlift is kind of stratospheric kind of money <laughs> like yeah. we're not doing that right now but it is semi-realistic for what it's realistic within five years that we work towards a lift for the lower part of the hill absolutely mm. and then you could just rotate like obviously it's going to split up a lot of the the traffic in buses as well so everything's totally. going to free up and it's gonna yeah make it. the whole system works better i mean buses yeah. move people in lumps if you if you're running a lift it moves them continuously so you don't get as many people pushing through Bottle the trail out. in big groups and we're not huge huge busy but we get really busy in summer the network's designed to kind of spit people out kind of far and wide but it is starting like last summer was the first time where i was riding a bit and going fuck there's a lot of people around like <laughs> these guys are all in the way like big, mainly big groups big groups of dudes where yeah. there's like 10 or 12 guys and they're just clogging up all the intersections i was gonna say how do you feel yeah. about that because you'd be pumped that so many people at your park but then you're like fuck I need to. I just go out in the room. I just go out in the mornings. Like honestly, it's funny. I very rarely get on a shuttle. Like I'll just go out for a pedal in the morning and just pedal around for an hour, try and get one in at the end of the day. Like when the uplift shuts, I might sneak a run in with the kids or something during the day. But I'm normally working during the day, so up at the park most of the time at the moment, getting stuff done. But it's like work during the day. Go for a pedal in the morning, pedal in the afternoon. A lot of the staff do the same thing. Oh, they'll often sneak out for a lunch lap or something and just go for a pedal. Go for a cruise. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I know you probably do this anyway, but with the lift, if you do put one in, tell me you're going to build a track just directly underneath it. Yeah, you have to, right? Isn't that a thing? <laughs> as well, I never understand that when you go to a, and it's like just over there. Yeah. Like, I want to see my buddies. Like, I want yeah. to see, like, see other like people. It's kind of first tabletop on A-line there, like yeah. right under the lift. It's just like a squid catcher where you just unfortunately see people eat shit constantly. Yeah. But why don't you just yeah. make that snake the whole way down where the lift is? Be cool. Yeah, it'd be really cool. And where we're going to put it is like the main hotspot for trails in the park anyway, to be honest. It's kind of the drier ridgeline where we've put most of the lower trails and most of the jump trails and things. So it's a good spot for it. They're all linked together in a way. Yeah, exactly. So that's, what, that's the goal. What do you think the biggest reason, because I feel like obviously, like you said, it's a different product, but it's also really far ahead of what I believe is most other mountain bike parks in Australia, like Buller, Threadbow, even Bright. Like they're so, so far behind in my opinion than where you've gotten in a shorter period of time. It's. I think the big thing is we're not a resort company and we're a family business. Early on, we had opportunities to bring in outside money and we still do, but stubbornly and usually regrettably we've never gone down that path like we've done it all ourselves and the main reason for that was that I wanted to have absolute control over what we did and I wanted to be really sure that we were reinvesting like from an investor point of view they'd look at us and go this is a fucking terrible business like you guys are just putting all the money back into the business like you're not making any money you're just growing the business but for us like that's what we want to do and we want to be able to innovate and move quickly and do cool shit at the end of the day so we come up with an idea, we workshop it, we do it. We don't have to go to corporate and get sign-off from marketing and sign-off from someone else. Like having that agility and flexibility and just passion for the sport, like we're not owned by some billion-dollar company. We're not there trying to make money. We're there to do cool things for mountain biking. So everything we do is focused on that, which I think is probably our biggest point of difference. And then you look at the big public trail networks. They're doing a great job too, but there's lots of different people at the table with competing ideas and competing priorities and competing goals and things. Whereas we're just like a singular focus on like, if we make a decision, it's signed off by me ultimately. And there's not some board there to argue about it for six weeks. Like, it's like, cool idea. Let's go. 
off off we go and get it done it's kind of just peace of mind really isn't it this is what we want to do we're going to do it because i remember we talked back i think when the i think it was national champs or something we were talking about i was saying how bright's not going anywhere and nothing's happening and it's stagnated and it's just because there's so many different entities that are in that hill that like you say you sit at a board okay we want to change this jump all right it's got to go through this guy and then they've got to see it and then this person's got to see it and then by the time it's done that and, people and are, look everyone's interested. incentives are different and yeah. we've done a lot of work trying to help bright and move that to a place where it's it's i would argue better like bright's awesome but as you would know this massive so potential much more there. potential so much so potential. much man i'm like i look at it, it makes me angry i would even go up and like work on it yeah and then a few times i went up working on it and i got permission from i can't, can't remember the guy's name now um, gave me permission to go yep. up and just clean it up because I was like, I need a, tra- a track to train on. Yeah. And if this is sketchy, i got to make it at least rideable. So I was going up there with rakes and shovels and fixing it up. And one of the workers got angry at me and he's like, no, nah, you can't come up here and work on it. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm doing your job for free and yeah. I'm doing it better than you're doing it. And then you're not only not doing it, you're trying to stop me from then yeah. doing it as well. I'm like, you're not even, oh, it was just so frustrating. to. Yeah, it's interesting. I think... There's a few big trail networks now looking at, and look, this is contentious, but looking at a model where they will bring in a commercial entity to run that park for them. Mm. And I mean, we've set up a business almost specifically to do that, looking at, uh, you know, helping commercial entities run bike parks and running them ourselves basically. But that model of like every, from, from, from my point of view, everything's kind of aligned. Like if you're the sole entity responsible for, delivering that product and experience like you're not going to drop the ball on trail maintenance because you know you're then ruining your product you're not going to run a shitty bike patrol medical service because then you it's to the detriment of your product Mm. like if everything's kind of part of an ecosystem there i think you'll end up getting better results and then everyone else can kind of fill out around that with the other higher offerings and the food and beverage and everything else but it'll be interesting to see where it all goes because a lot of these big networks are struggling with maintenance and management costs at the end of the day Mm. how do you make that work like is it fair that if you go to one of the best trail networks in the country derby for trail riding that it's just free like should there be a small cost on that i mean i would argue like let's give a local season pass to people for a really low cost 100 bucks a year or something similar to what bright does so basically anyone can afford it if you've got a bike 100 bucks a year surely not for most people that much of a stretch but if you're going there as a tourist and it costs you 10 or $15 a day to do something fucking amazing on your bike, like, is that not reasonable? Yeah. I mean, I would have thought so because then you know you're giving back and you're supporting that trail network and it can be sustainable. Like the last thing we want is these epic riding destinations to fall apart because no one's got the million dollars a year to maintain them. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And also I think the right people to maintain them as well is a big thing. Mm. That's the, like not only, okay, you've got the dollars to do it, but then you're employing people that actually don't know how to fix things properly. Yeah. And that's another thing that, like how do you become qualified at trail building? Like how do you, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't exist. It's a good question. It doesn't um, exist. It, look, it's been bandied around amongst us trail builders for a while. Like, and I know that some people have done some work with TAFE courses and other things. So, Maybe, but it's one of those things. It's such a it's, kind of heart and soul passion thing. It's an art like, project, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, because someone is funny. Someone, I remember when I was younger, they're like, oh, you're really good at riding. And I was like building a trail at the time. And I was yeah. like, I think I'm probably better at building tracks than I am at riding now. Because it's like. Job. Yeah. It's dude, funny I'm, though. Not all riders are good at building trails. Like you yeah. get some absolutely amazing, talented riders can't build a trail to save themselves. Yeah. A lot of them can. 
and having that riding ability really helps. I mean, we have a pretty structured training pathway now for our staff, but no, there's no formal qualification. Because you're doing a math, like think about when you build, I remember, I never forget it, I was building a jump ones. Yeah. And my, um, my grandfather came up to me and he's like, how do you know how big to make it? Yeah, exactly right. And I looked at it and I was like, I don't know. And it's just, yeah. it's just it's 20, a, 20 years of riding bikes and you jumping. Get, right? yeah. Yeah. But, but your brain's doing this math equation that you don't yeah. even know how it's and happening. And you get more and more confident. And then you're out looking at other stuff and you're like, that jump sucks. Like, why is the transition so tight? Like, I can jump it fine, but a beginner level rider mm. can't do it. It's like this argument the other day where a lot of the guidelines are now saying that intermediate jumps need to be quite small. It's like, but then you've got a really harsh transition. Like intermediate jumps should be big with a really mellow transition and a mellow release point. If you make them really small, you end up yeah, with this yeah. really tight transition. It just throws people off. So again, it's just a lack of understanding of how a trail actually works. Like that exactly what you're saying. There was a jump. You probably hit it. It was it on um, Hero Bright. It was towards the bottom where you kind of go, you go over it and then you'd go up a road for a little bit. Yep. You used to turn left and there was a, a jump and it kicked you because it was just short and sharp. Yeah. But the run in all the six jumps before it were all mellow. Yep. So it like put you in this false sense of security and then you'd go over the bars and that. I think it broke. I don't even know how many collarbones, man. Yeah. So in summer, there was like seven in like two weeks. Yeah. And look, honestly, we've had jumps at Maidena that haven't worked out. It's mm. like very ran down. We fix them very quickly. But sometimes the guys will build something and you're like, fuck that. That's not going to work. Like we need to mellow that thing out. And mm. usually it's because people are trying to get too sharp, too steep and just throw people up into the air. And as an elite rider, it's, you know, you deal with it. Like you jump anything. But for the day-to-day weekend warrior, they hit that thing and they just... Dead, yeah. dead sailor. I really think a good trail builder can build something that's fun for a pro and a beginner, and it's just that you just have to ride it differently. But yeah, you exactly. Can, you yeah. can have fun on both. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that is the hallmark of a good trail. I think there's a whole other argument behind that of like we need that diversity of trail. And one of the things we found early on was like we built a whole bunch of really good black, double black jump trails, and they worked fine. But we didn't have any blue jump trails. So all the intermediate riders are like, well, I'm just going to go hit the black stuff. And then they're getting smoked. <laughs> so it's like we'll build the intermediate stuff and now the injury rates drop down to almost nothing. But it's having that mix of options for people because they will just send anything. That's what we've found. It's like particularly in groups, they come in and you see them like standing on the side of the trail with all their GoPros and it's like it's not going to end well. <laughs> you watch them, you're like, I, I know that you shouldn't be riding that trail. <laughs> like, yeah, do you ever yeah. do you ever see people and just go, oh, this is this probably go down that one? Yeah, we had, um, you probably remember, Made in a Hits is like our kind of crab apple hit style, just big straight tabletops. And we had the last one was like 45 foot, I think. It, 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 trail speed, perfect. Like you just roll in, hit that thing, not a worry in the world. But it became like a rite of passage. Everyone that came to the park, rightly or wrongly, was like, I'm going to hit that jump. So you'd see people and we just had so many collarbones and things because people would just sprint at it. Like they'd land and they'd stress out. So they'd get on the pedals. You'd be riding past, you see them sprinting and you're like, I can't watch. They just <laughs> go just way too far. Straight over deep and just bang. So we just deleted the jump. We're like, it's not worth it. We just turned it into a roller. Yeah, Because exactly. yeah, yeah, it was just too easy for people to get in there and get out over the head basically. Well, that's the thing. At least you'd made the effort to get rid of it and change it because you realized Yeah, yeah. That. We did a year or so with that thing. Like, it's not worth it. Like too many people are getting hurt. Yeah. So you, you have to change those things sometimes. And I almost, I was so tempted when that jump kept, I heard it like did seven collarbones in the two weeks. I was like, I'm going to go out there at night with a, <laughs> just a, a, a kick and just yeah. knock out my, yeah. it's going to help so many people not having that jump there because it's hurting so many people. But then eventually I think they. Yeah. Like, I think it's hard. It's it. hard with jumps. Like there, there's so many variables. 
And particularly when you're building like really big jumps, there are just so many variables around release angle and gap and entry speed and everything else. And then when you're getting really big, it's like the other variables of wind and braking and other things. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Do you think everything, like all the jumps that are built in Australia are too tamed or dumbed down? I don't know if they're too tame to dumb down. The, the thing I see, particularly here in Queensland, actually, to be honest, um, is a lot of just like really short, sharp transitions that they work fine if you know how to ride, but they're not very good if you're intermediate. It's like just mellow that thing out. Um, double jumps for intermediate, uh, not really a thing. I think camelback or tabletop is fine, but you don't need to hit a double when you're an intermediate rider. It just doesn't really make sense. You need to be able to learn to just compress off that jump preload and just skip over onto the tabletop and into the landing like double jumps for that level of rider or even black trails to be honest like you look at whistler a-line you can roll that whole thing like yeah, my wife and daughter fun, yeah. can roll that trail it's still fun like we don't need to have these giant gaps where if you come up short you're just gonna completely destroy yourself mm. but i guess that's the kind of it looks kind of cooler. Anyway. That's what people, <laughs> it pe- looks people cool. attach yeah. themselves to that. Hey, and oh, like, totally. Really yeah. Get that to that be honest, though, I think a lot of it's just uh, laziness and budget in Australia. It's like, well, hey, we've only got X amount of dollars and time to build a jump. So it takes twice as long to build it properly and turn it into a, a camelback jump or a tabletop. Mm. So let's just get it done. Just build the lip, build the landing, move on, basically. Yeah. But I guess this leads me on to obviously you're having a hardline event now. How much control do you have over not only running the event, but also building the track? Yeah, a lot actually. So one of our provisos at the start was that we wanted to run the event. So we've worked with other event companies before and we do things a little bit differently at Maidana. We're very focused on the experience for everyone and for us to be able to pull the levers and drive the event ourselves is really important. So we are event managing it ourselves, which is great. Um, done plenty of big events before this one is particularly big but for us we really wanted to be the one at the wheel so working really closely with the red bull team obviously and they're awesome just giving us the tools we need and the support we need to do things and there's obviously things they need from their point of view that we have to tick off in terms of athlete experience and safety and broadcast and everything else but we do have a lot of control over the event in terms of the course it to be honest it's much the same like we're We've had input from all sorts of different people, but I designed that course working with our team, basically. So I spent days and days and days on the hill scouring for the best terrain and the best lines. And once I found that, I worked with our team to piece it all together, basically, into a you know a holistic, massive, crazy course. So it's been largely driven by us, which is awesome. Is that almost like a dream come true while you're walking it, just thinking I'm about to find what's going to be the hardest, considered the hardest mountain bike race in the world? It's a dream, but it's also really stressful. So one of the reasons we went over to Europe was to actually look at the hardline course in the UK. So I had a really good look at that with Dan and his team. And yeah, it's it's an eye-opener. Like you look at it in the broadcast and you think, well, that's pretty gnarly. But when you look at it in real life, it's it's more than pretty gnarly. Mm. It's definitely right at the edge of what is possible for anyone, let alone, you know, the, the top riders in the world. So... From our perspective, I guess we, we're really cognizant of the fact that what we build has to be at least equal to Wales in terms of difficulty and challenge, but we are keen to try and make it safer. So we've got a lot of things in place to minimise the consequence. Like the features are huge and really technical up the top and big cliff drops and things, but we're going to work to put that in a context where it's as safe as possible because... We want it to be really hard. We want it to be really gnarly and we want people to be 
absolutely stretched in terms of their ability, but we want everyone to go home mm. and walk home and not go home via an ambulance at the end of the day. And I think that's the thing we talked about before, if you can make a track that's hard, but also enjoyable. Like if you nail yeah. it, it's not like I nailed that job perfectly and still like blew my shins out because it was that harsh of a landing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that happens in Wales. Like there's a big rock drop after the big moto jump. That's, if you if you yeah. grease that thing, man, like even if you grease it, you're still heavy like almost snapping your body so heavy the drop itself is fine like even i'll look at it and i'm like it's yeah that's big but if you had a nice landing it's not that bad mm. but you're landing pretty flat in a bunch of rocks basically which look you could argue it, it's hard for sure but i'd almost say it's kind of harsh like yeah we we some of our stuff like we also want some trickable jumps so i mean they've got the the kind of big steel step up that people can trick different context for us but we will have some big trickable jumps as well because there is a bunch of free races and things obviously yeah they just want to just go and like, have fun and do whips it's like, a spectacle like, like chaos and stuff yeah they just want to go do whips and it's like sell that that's yeah that's and we got we got a jump well. jam as part of the event so we're doing like a brand new massive free ride venue as well so we'll have like a big jump jam with a bunch of that crew that are coming down but one of the other things for us was to actually make it what we feel will be more in line with the world cup downhill race so more line choice and more sort of natural technicality up the top so it is actually a downhill race like you won't win this thing if you're a free racer or a free rider like mm. we want you to come along and get involved if you're at that level and can ride the course but a racer is going to win this like it's a really tough downhill race mm. and i guess you could argue about what hard line should be or what it is but i think at the end of the day from our point of view it's like this is a downhill race we want it to be at the absolute pinnacle of what a downhill race can be but we don't just want one line. It's like, you know, just hold on and hope for the best. Like there has to be some line choice and tactics and, and other things. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to – you can't you can't say who's coming, but there's some big name guys that are, that are the, most the, likely coming. Yeah, coming the roster it. is surprising. So we've been working on this one for a few weeks. Um, people, yeah, will be a little surprised. There's some names in there that are amazing and you wouldn't expect – at a hardline event is all I can say. So we're, we're super excited. And from a course point of view, like I said, it's it's different to Wales. We've been clear from the start that we're not just going to go out and carbon copy that course and put it in Medina. So it is very Medina-centric, but it's huge. I mean, it's a bunch of people are like, oh, it's going to be open to the public. We'd love to come and have a ride. I'm like, guys, if the public could ride this, we wouldn't be doing our job properly. Like, <laughs> this is terrifying for everyone in the venue like even our top athlete racers are like i'm not really sure <laughs> like, would you just shut it and when it's once it's raced are you just going to shut it no one rides shut. it that's no it. one rides it yeah and look at crisscrosses a bunch of other trails on the hill so we ended up moving it to sit on top of some people would know pandani trails like a whole bunch of cliff lines that you kind of weave your way through so it sort of skips over the top of that at the top which mm. is great because the spectators can kind of work their way down the course but there's no way to open that publicly and I mean, the first bit, the drops are not huge. They're kind that, of three, that makes four metres. That makes it better, though. If it, I, I always thought about if you had a track and then it turns into a bike park because everyone rides it, and then you just got this sketchy, hard-packed bike park track. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be natural and stay natural for as long as it And I, I guess the other thing is, like, it's huge, and there are no B-lines. Yeah. So there's absolutely no B-lines. Like, you can't – if you're not sending that eight-metre cliff drop or jumping that – 40 foot double to double to lily pad to whatever else there's no you're in the wrong place boy yeah. you're in the wrong place <laughs> well there's no trail in between <laughs> yeah. like 
there's a 90-foot creek gap and you can't roll through the creek. It's a fucking canyon. Is that, like, is that the biggest? Is that the biggest no, jump? No, it's You're definitely not What the do you biggest. think the biggest jump will be? Like what size? Uh, over 100. Yeah, that's that's the current. So we've bulked out the last jump now and it's well over 100. We're that's just at the very bottom. Very bottom. Yeah, we're just working on... We've got to work on the rider entry speed and things. There's, there's a few other big features. So a big... Um, uh, sort of shark fin thing like probably the biggest shark fin in the world i reckon sort of leads into that it's like a three-story high shark fin it's pretty mental but yeah it's cool but there's no way around it like you can't and like i say with some of the sections there'll be double jumps to double jumps to double jumps like super cross rhythms there's no trail in between you're just like jumping over ferns so you can't roll through because there's no trail you you're gotta just, just do it launching your way through and, and oh. part of that with hardline i think getting that understanding in the UK was like part of what makes it hard is the frequency of the features and they are like bang, bang, bang. Like if you miss one, you're not going to make the next two. And if you don't commit properly to the first one, you're going to throw yourself off the second and third and be in, in a real state because you haven't got the speed right and things. So not only is everything big, you've also got to be able to put it together. And talking to the guys over there, it's like, Jackson was the only one who was there on day two or whatever, just punching laps. Like everyone else is still trying to figure out how to actually link first and second features together rather than do the whole thing in one go. So we've been really conscious of that too. It's like no one should be able to turn up at that course on day one and just be able to punch Maybe yeah. Jackson because he's a freak, but you First know, run challenge kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. straight off the bat, just go down. You won't be able to. Like, you absolutely will not be able to. Not possible. But like you said, you would hope that you want it to. Yeah, totally. People. Like it, it has to be, and that's what Dan Atherton was really clear on from the start. Like they really want to push the absolute edge of the sport, and there's only a handful of people that can actually do that. And that's why the rider list is hard. I mean, there's actually a lot of people that want to get involved, and there's there's quite a few actually that will miss out that are more than capable of hardline, but it is very much just a small group of athletes. Mm. Bunch of guys, few girls, and yeah. It's I wonder because I know when I watch it now and like Flo Payette goes to it and he says it's just like the funnest thing. They go play rugby, they do all this fun stuff. But I wonder if it will grow to the point where it just becomes a World Cup to like a select few. And I guess that's what the kind of World Cup is trying to market themselves mm. to as well. So it's a similar thing, but it's the opposite because it's chilled out, relaxed event but there's a limited amount and the other one, they want to go super serious, but a limited amount and like they're kind of the polar opposite, but. And it is quite different in that in both of them, right? The athlete is the product. Like the athlete is the one providing the experience that is broadcast, Mm. but in hardline, the athletes are paid to be there Mm. in a world cup. The athletes are paying to be there. Mm. So you're coming in with a different mindset from the start. It's like, we're actually, brought here by Red Bull and they are giving us this amazing experience. So there's a whole bunch of athlete entertainment and all sorts of other things that we're doing, like really cool, fun stuff. So they're coming down for a week of good times because we know that they're going to be stressing about the hardline thing. So the one thing that we'll have really dialed is that whole athlete experience and communication and working like super closely with them around the course and like different practice uplifts and I guess trying to be as supportive as we can. Like we want them all to come online and be really supported through that practice and feel that they can do it in a way that's really safe and organized. Mm. It's like, you're not just left to your own devices out on the course. Like there you go guys, all the best. And then we just go and sit in our booth down the bottom and send emails. It's like, we'll actually be up there with you working through the process with you and helping support it and making sure that, you know, everyone's comfortable. And if something's not working out, we've got a team there to tune it and fix it. And 
yeah, it'll be an interesting experience for sure. But I think we're, we're, got a, we're in a really good place with it in terms of where we, we want to take that event. And mm. as you know, like building it into that big five-day mountain bike festival, which is a different focus again. Like you look at Crankworks and it's amazing, but it has become kind of corporate in many ways. Like mm. it's less rider focused than it used to be. Like you look at a slope style and it's like, Rider ready, three, two, one, you get two runs, you're done. Yeah. Like our jump jam is going to be really low key. Like you have a session and then you'll be judged on three different metrics, like a best trick, best whip off, steesiest, most styly rider. Yeah. And you just get an hour to have fun yeah, or whatever jam. it might more, be. It's a jam. a jam. Yeah. It's a jam. Way less pressure, way more fun. Totally. Chill it out. There'll you can still a, win. Totally. There'll be a bar there. There's DJs. The whole thing will be a massive party, but the riders there actually having fun and we feel like we're going to get more out of the riders in a session like that than we would if it was like a hey here's your run do your trick here's your run or a standard whip off or something like we want it to be really rider centric event and there's a bunch of other race events like the king queen of the mountain where anyone can come and race you choose your own trail we've got like a hundred trails on the hill so you can choose whatever race line you want fastest line down wins so there's a really cool narrative around hey which course are you riding like mm. for some riders at the elite level, there is no fastest line down the hill. Like it depends on what you're better at riding. So an event like that I think is really cool as well because you can then race with all the top guys and girls. You can ride a blue flow trail and they can be riding pro lines to get down the hill. Yeah, and go down. I think what you said there, which I thought was really cool, was like you care about the rider experience that's coming there. And like you say with UCI and stuff like that, like I didn't get any – when I had my accident, no messages, nothing, no, like you're all good, nothing like that. Yeah, and I feel like that's a real – it's not just a missed opportunity, but it's it's a fuck up, I think, at the end of the day. Like they need to show a little more care for the athletes and be, oh, be more engaging. Well, I just asked for like an accident report for insurance that I haven't got it yet. Yeah, just right. Just stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Like just – just and like I, I'm not I don't care that much about normal things but like about that I'm like I don't need a big hug in the UOK kind of thing but, yeah, just, but it would still be nice just, to have a follow-up right like just yeah you, yeah well just <laughs> the actual thing I need to claim my insurance would be that I'm yeah, happy with just that, give me that bit that yeah. yeah the bare minimum is that and yeah after that do what you want but yeah I know it's like you said though which I really liked is like you're going to put care into the athletes because you want them to come back and you to be fair I guess customers. it's a little easier for us like we have 35 athletes and a couple of development riders so it's a little easier, but in saying that, like you if you do want it. to shrink that World Cup field down or even if you don't, like the riders are the spectacle and yeah, I do feel like there's a piece there that's still missing. It's like you need to be... It's communication, man. We yeah. don't talk to each other. Yep. And that's the thing, even this year at the World Cups, like I was shocked that one like Pink Black was sharing all my stuff when they didn't run an event yeah. and all this <laughs> stuff and I'm like, why are me and Eddie Masters providing more information exactly. than the broadcasting... Yeah. Man, if if I had an, yeah. if I had an iPhone, I could just walk around and give literally updates about every single yeah. thing that's happening in real time straight away. And I f maybe they don't, maybe they do have it, but I feel like they actually need that, like a rider liaison manager. It's like someone Something. like a Reese or someone like Reese who's like, like a, an actual who's really there rider centric. And well, there's the like, riders rep, but Greg doesn't. Yeah, but you're not like a, a paid role, like an actual different. management paid role. That's like their yeah. job is to make sure that all the riders are happy and engaged kind of with them. Gwyn and Nico were kind of doing. They were doing yeah. it, but it was just, it's. I don't think you can do it as a rider. And Rue's good. Like Rue Cunningham's great, but yeah. he's busy on the course. It's like, I feel like that's you need I mean, someone separate. there separate. that's like just checking in on the teams and liaising and providing information and everything else. Mm. Like I feel like that's an area where, again, I'm, really broadly supportive of what Warner Brothers are doing, but there are definitely some things where 
they can plug a few little holes mm. and it would make a massive difference. My, my biggest thing, and it's been the whole time, is just communication. Like, yeah. We don't get told stuff. We don't, it comes from Warner Brothers. Like, who's making these decisions? <laughs> yeah. Like, I always, you know, when there's like a UFC fight or something, afterwards yeah. there's a press conference. Dana yeah. White goes to the front, yeah. talks to the media. This is what happened. This is why this happened. This is the yeah. person that made the call. Like all these things are so simple yep. if you just explain them to us. But if you don't say anything and hide behind a Warner Brothers logo, it's like, who's making this shit happen? Yeah, well, it's even like the ca- the calendar. I mean, you probably saw it early on. There was a calendar that got kicked around yeah. a few months ago that looked fucking way better than the one we ended up with. So everyone's like, oh, cool. We're going to get a whole bunch of rounds. We're going still Europe, but you know, we're going to a bunch of places. The actual calendar comes out, particularly for Enduro. And people are like the hell's this horse shit like mm. where are all the races like tassie was amazing why aren't we going back to tassie why have we only got five rounds or whatever it is for enduro uh, obviously there's some background banter about you know the budgets are tight for teams and i don't know but maybe it was shrunk down because the industry is having a bit of a hard time but if that is the case communicate that like just yeah. say to people the reason we have a european focused cup with less rounds is because the team budgets are tight we'd rather do that than lose more teams out of the series mm. and then people even the pink bike warriors would be like cool that kind of makes sense like it sucks but i get it but when you just get that landed there and you're like heaps of people coming to us and me and saying well where's my dinner well, i thought you guys were gonna have another round it's like well we tried like yeah. we, we said we wanted to host in 2024 and we were told hey now look at 2025 so yeah that's the thing people but again it comes back to i'm angry about the lack of communication i'm, yeah. not, I'm not angry about the series yeah. or about even when like the race was cancelled at ludon vial the juniors and stuff and i made a heap of noise like I don't really care that the race is cancelled. I'm not even racing in it. Just communicate I'm, I'm pissed off that <laughs> yeah. you're not telling anyone yeah. why it's happening. You just said race yeah. is cancelled and then kind of hide behind a few like Instagram reels and stuff yep. going like, congratulations, Ryan Pinkerton. Like, yeah, it's like, can you please explain why? And then everyone talks between themselves, comes up with a million different ideas yep. and spreads that out. And like, some are right, some are wrong, some yeah. are whatever. But if you just come out and stand in front of everyone and go, this is why we did it. This is the safety coordinator. They made this call. Like, be accountable for yeah, things exactly. that are happening, and yep. you're just not. And that's yeah. what's annoying. That's that's my that's my big thing. Yeah. Everyone thinks that I'm pissed and off that's about. Fair. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty simple to be. Yeah, it is. And look, to, I guess looking at the other side, devil's advocate. I know they have a lot on the plate, and I know that their intentions are good, and I know they're working hard. But I do feel like if they just fix those couple of little things the whole thing would be infinitely better. Yeah. Like with a, with a pretty light lift, like you're not asking for that much. It's like just communicate a little more, explain things, involve us a little more in some of the decision-making. And then suddenly the athletes are probably pretty happy. Yeah. Most of the time. Dude, I sent Chris Ball a message to come on the podcast. Like I want to talk to you. I yeah. want to, I want to understand why what is happening is happening and give yeah. you a voice to say it. And if you're saying stuff that I don't think is true, I'll call you out. If you're like, it's just, yeah. Like actually have an open discussion about this and be like, why is this? Yeah, going I feel like on? if because I can say, I mean, I've spoken to Chris a few times, and I I personally feel like what they're trying to do is is good. I for agree. The most part. I agree for sure. Yeah, I, I think if that was conveyed better, I mm. think more people would be like, okay, we get it. It's I, cool. I, I don't we think, can see I what you're trying think, to do. I don't think people that were once like world champions, like Rory and stuff, would come into a sport and try and destroy it. Fuck no. That, no. I don't believe that one bit. Again, no. and look be, at what the AWS was. Like, yeah. admittedly, not quite the same now, but. That was rider-driven. They went to amazing venues. They had good media. It wasn't amazing, but it was good. And it was very much a core kind of series where punters could come and race, elites could race. It was about venues. Like they went to the best venue. They didn't give a shit about whether you had infrastructure. 
the whole big marketing, branding, corporate shit. They went to Derby early on. They came to us early on. It was very much venue-driven, whereas now it feels like it's driven by a different yeah. kind of agenda for Enduro. It's like the riders at Enduro, they're riding you know, six stages, long stages. If, if they all suck, it's a pretty shitty day. And a lot of the riders are like, look, we enjoyed it when it was two days or one and a half days. Like part of it for us was actually going to a destination and enjoying the destination and learning about it and engaging and riding a whole bunch of different stuff. It feels like that's now kind of shrunk into this little package again and it needs to kind of go back a bit more to where it was and be more about going to cool places and having a great time mm. and, you know, just go a little further afield than Europe would be a, a great start. <laughs> Man, that's like every time I talk to Eddie, Wynn, Jack, any of those guys, they're just like, it's yeah, it's kind of turning into downhill where you just go Leo gang, mm. you go Fort William, you go Valdesol, we just rotate. Yep. those venues and then you don't actually see the world that's yeah like the and that's, that's part of what it was i think early on i mean i raced a few aws's oh, a couple but i mean the reason you do it is you know, as a punter anyway to go race somewhere cool yeah like and to actually be able to race with the pros is is really fun like if you can do it in a format that you race the day prior it's just a really cool thing to do as a punter and that's one of the things we try to do with that gravity fest event with hardline is actually give people a chance to race like you go to um Crankworks, for example, and it's cool, but you're really there to spectate. Like as a punter, there's not a lot you can do on your bike, especially in Cairns. There's a little bit of riding, but it's not like Rotorua. There's hundreds of kilometers of trails. Like you're going there really just to watch the event. And we're yeah. like, look, we want there to be that spectacle of Hardline, but also a chance to get on your bike, ride, race, have some fun. Well, you're just appealing to more people. Like people want to go there and ride and watch, and they just give them both the opportunity to do that in the Well, same the other day. thing is too, we're in Tassie, right? So it's a big a big yeah. cost to get yeah. there. So we've got a value add to the effort of getting there. It's like if you're going to travel all that way, you probably want to bring your bike. And if you're going to bring your bike, we want to make sure that you can have a good time on your bike. Again, simple stuff. Simple. I really, I yeah. really think it's like, okay, we have a bike park. You want to ride your bike? Ride your bike. Okay, there's some pros over here that are going to throw themselves off. Shortly. Come and enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah, come watch it. Yeah, and if you want to like, if you want to do uplifts on that day, you can do uplifts, and you can just peel across like hard lines on one side of the park. The rest of the park's open. Come and ride and just watch it as you're going down. You can choose how you want to do it. Yeah, um, it's again simple. I feel. Simple. Or even like that Enduro World Cup, like. I think for the first time ever, we've just pitched this idea of a guided trail ride that followed, well, I can't remember what we called it. It was pretty, oh, the Hecklefest. It was really cool. So we had like Hecklefest t-shirts. People signed up to the trail ride. It was like super low cost. They got a guide for the day. And that guide just rode around with them to all the stages. We had like 50 people in this group. And one of our staff, Chris, who's epic at that kind of thing anyway, he just rode the Hecklefest crew around and they had megaphones and all sorts of shit. Those guys had the best day ever. And it was so basic. It was just like taking them on a trail ride so they could go watch the World Cup. And I think if if they did more shit like that at a world level, it it would be really cool. Well, that's the whole like selling an experience. Yeah. Sell a package. Like, okay, this is what you get. We just think what you would want as a rider. It's like, if I'm going to a World Cup, what do I want? Or, you know, an enduro, what do I want? I want to see all the stages. I don't want to have to worry about working out where to go. I, I don't know the venue, so I don't know how to ride to here, here, here. I just want to have a great day on my bike. At the end of it, hey, I'd love to stop at a bar on the hill just near the finish where we can watch it all and have a couple of beers. Like, Just think what you would want to do at an event and then you create that for people and I think that's the best way to do it. I guess people just don't see that. But I don't get how you don't see what you want. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. That's, that's what, yeah. It's like you rock up somewhere. It's like, you know how like people, I was listening to this thing and they talk about how like malls work. 
Like yeah. Why do malls work? Yeah. They have everything there. Exactly. You want clothes, you want entertainment, you want this. They've just got everything. Job done. Yeah, job yeah. done. Stop worrying. But I think people think that the event, like the actual race is the, the main part of the event. Whereas from our perspective, it it's like be. the race is the reason people are going. Like that's the motivator to go to the venue. Yeah. The race is a tiny part of the event. Like you look at Hardline, for example, that thing's done in three hours. Like we're going to have a seating day. So there's another three-hour block. But people aren't necessarily coming for the three hours. They're coming to have a great time. So Hardline is part of that great time. But we want to keep them for a week. Yeah. So we've got to give them a week of fun shit to do. Mm. That's easy. Like it's not hard. We know what people enjoy doing on their bikes. But it's even when you bring people in, like I never understood at Threadbow that have the whip off. And you've just got all these people in the one spot. And then as soon as it's done, they're like, all right, we're going to cross here now, going to this bar. And then everyone just spreads and goes. Yep. Like people go home, people get over it. I'm like, put a DJ up on top of that tabletop. Yeah. As soon as, have him playing while they're doing Stoke, whips. Stoke Wizard. Stoke Wizard. <laughs> put him on the tabletop, have him playing while they're doing whips. As mm. soon as, as soon as they've done the last whip, have just a big party there. Have your prezos there. Have yeah. your prezos there. Like it's little stuff. If you can create a group of a lot of people, yep. give them stuff to do. Soon as you try and herd them somewhere else, people, oh, I'm going home. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm this. I'm that. And it's like, yeah. And the it's whole even just the, the way you put together the venue. Like, I only went to one World Cup this year, Lenzerheide. Venue was pretty good. Mm. But talking to a bunch of other people, I think um, Darcy Coates was saying, like, Val Nord was just a terrible pit space from his perspective. But, like, I, literally, the thing I'm doing the last few weekends is sitting in a 20 ton machine while the hardline crew aren't using it to build a new event venue. Like, we've yeah. got a pretty good event venue, but we want to make it way better. Yeah. So, like, Expo space leads straight into the finish bowl. You've got space for bars and entertainment yeah. and everything else. You're not stuck off in the middle of a car park with your team pits or your expo is not like in 57 different places. Like mm. it's all designed properly. So yeah. people flow through the venue and up onto the course. Like mm. The finish should things. be in the pits. Like the totally, sh- the yeah. Sh- you finish and there's your tent right there. Yeah, and we've got a VIP tent. We're going to have a rooftop bar on that thing. Like it's at the finish line. So it has to be like if if you want people to be there, you know, as a VIP, some of them paying, like you got to put them on the finish line, and they're yeah. gonna have the best view. Like they need to see that finish jump. They need to have the expo and everything all around them. Like they're not just there for the event, you know. They're not just there for the race. Yeah, they're exactly. there for the experience at the end of the day. And like I always think this because imagine if you had like a massive act, like people would come there for the act. Like oh Taylor Swift's playing at yeah. four thirty. Like imagine how many people would come to that. And you're like oh shit downhill. Yeah, and I think, and we've thought about that. It's like, who can we get on board? There's a few like big DJs and things that are really into riding, so we're doing a bit of work in that space. But I think that's the next one for us is like bring a big act yeah. into that little microcosm. And I really think that's how you life. bring new fans in. Yeah, because they'll come for him and then see that and be like, holy shit, this is cool. Yeah, and, and just other, like obviously made in a two with logistics. Like we've got buses that are, I think we're going to launch that product this week, but you'll be able to bus in and out of Hobart. So there'll be a couple of different bus times. So you can just jump on, you can have a beer at 10 in the venue and then bus home. Like little things like that. that <laughs> yeah, but it's massive. Yeah, it just makes hopefully a big difference to people in Hobart who are like, oh, you know, it's quite a, you know, it's an hour and a half, but yeah. I don't have a car or the kids want to come out and whatever. So I think by doing that, Hopefully that kind of solves a few. Think how fun needles. that bus would be going home after. <laughs> a bit wild. <laughs> I'd love to have a party bus with fifty six <laughs> of my mates or whatever Stinky and cruise back. dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't be on that bus. Uh, I was going to say, just, I was going to say, I'm probably going to bring my van and just camp in that thing, not yeah. have to catch the bus home. Yeah, no, I would do that. Have, have you had any pushback from people and like doing these big events and and creating what you are creating? Are you people pushing back or are people pretty good about it? Oh, look, everyone has an opinion and you definitely cop a bit of hate along the way for sure. Um, 
not heaps of pushback. Like we we have issues like anyone would with just bureaucracy and other things trying to get things done, but generally pretty good from a mountain bike community point of view, generally really good. Um, there's a bit of niggliness around Tassie in particular. Like I've been around for a long time and some people, very small elements of the community don't like me for whatever reason. They, I think, I don't know, maybe some of it's tall poppy. Like they think that I'm just kind of a rich kid who's, you know, got all this money and doing all these things and just charging people a fortune to come and ride their bikes and whatever else. It's this very small yeah. segment of the community, but you get a bunch of it. Mm. Like anyone does. Like we're relatively public facing now and we have a pretty big bike park. So we do get a bit of attention, but generally it's really positive to mm. be honest. But as you know, like you get your haters. Yeah. <laughs> some, some days they, they get you down, but for the most part. I do know that as good. well when you're in small town environment and you start to win in a certain way. I guess it's a reflection of them not winning, so they just Yeah, there's, there's a bit you. of that. And I guess they think you're winning, but – and look, I'm winning for sure, Like, but it's fucking hard work. Yeah. I guess you just remind yourself like – I don't know. You could do a week in my shoes at the end of the day, like, or you, or even if, if you want, you want to. to yeah. That's it. Like, it's it's not all beer and skittles. Like, there's a whole lot of hard work and a lot of grind and a lot of stress and everything else. But no, most people are really good. There's a couple of people left in the town that are not supportive. But same with Derby or anywhere else. Like, mm. the overwhelming response from the community, even the non-riders, is like, this is really cool. It's brought the community alive. It's not disruptive. We have a couple of big events a year. Otherwise, the town just continues on. House prices have quadrupled or whatever since we started. Like, it's a better place. It's definitely a better place. Mm. Do you think, because you're talking about you want to do the Enduro again, 24, do you have an idea if you do a downhill as well or just you want to stick to your in-house events or would you try and get World Cup? I, I would love a downhill, particularly now that Enduro has moved to a place where I'm a bit less excited about it. Like, I think we, as an Enduro venue, we have everything we need and the feedback from Warner Brothers from the athletes and even directly with the athletes was that we were one of the favorite venues that's happened over the last several years so people want to come back and I want to facilitate that because I think we have a real genuine place in the calendar like we're the whole venue was built around enduro ultimately more than it is downhill Mm. we have such a variety of really fun trails like we we used probably a quarter of the trails that I wanted to use for the enduro world cup and then there's a 60 other trails, but it's so hard to pick a course. Like I captain called the course, so I just wanted to do it. But in doing that, like it was really hard to put that together. So we want another go at it so we can show more stuff. But I want a downhill for sure. The town probably needs a little more infrastructure development and talking with Chris Ball and the crew, like they're keen, but they want to see some more development around the town. It is a tiny town, as you know, but... Mm. I think we can do it. Um, we're going to put something together after Hardline because Hardline, we've, we've got some pretty unique things going on with like pop-up camping arrangements and buses and we're really trying to dial in. Like we've got to get 10,000 people into this venue in a town of 100 people. Like it's, it's a heavy lift, but mm. we've got some really good plans around that and there's some doubts that, you know, we can facilitate that level of event in the town. So we're easily going to prove all those doubt is wrong. Mm. But I think once we've done that, then we can start opening that dialogue of like, from my perspective, as I said earlier, Australia and New Zealand need a place at the world cup table. Um, maybe it's not every year, but I'd like to see the series open every year 
in the southern hemisphere. If and I don't know why not because it's perfect. Like the weather, the like, weather's great. Like why, yeah, why are you going to Montsanam when it's snowing when you could be in Australia in, in start March? in March? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Like I think most of the riders want a slightly longer series. Maybe teams at the moment not so much, but hey, that's going to improve. But I think if it's run well, though, it's it's run well. Like yeah. if, if it makes sense and you come to New Zealand for maybe one race, maybe two, maybe Australia for one or two, and it's in March when there's not much ha- happening back in Europe. Well, they want to come, right? Like, they're all here already. And that was the reason that we pitched yeah, yeah. the Hardbone date when we did. Because, like, you look at the whole date calendar. It's like they're coming down for proving grounds in New Zealand if you're a free rider. They're coming down for Cannonball. Like, they've been getting um, world-level races for years now. Like, they do a great job of dragging those races in. And, and they love coming here. Time. They're, like, exactly. going on a holiday in Australia in March. Yeah. Why would you want to say There's a bunch doing New Zealand nationals. They're all coming. Like, mm. a lot of those crew, like Bernard Kerr and those guys, have been hanging out in New Zealand for years. Like, mm. they're all down here. They want to do stuff and they want to race. Like, you look yeah. at, like, we hosted the Syndicate a couple of years ago, on it last year, and they came down. They were doing all kinds of stuff. Like, they were in New Zealand doing stuff. They were racing. They mm. came to us. Like, they actually want to race. Mm. Like, they really want to race. And talking to that crew, like, a lot of them are coming back. They just ride different tracks as well. Yeah. Like, that's that to me, I like to go somewhere. I don't care as much about like the riding as much as riding something new that's yeah. exciting and and that's back to that whole you. thing of like put it somewhere cool where it's not just the riding like and you know as a racer surely when you go into a world cup the race bit is part of it but the, the whole experience yeah. is important too like if you're in a town that i don't know is not that cool and the course is not that cool and you feel like hey maybe they're just here because these guys had the hosting fees and costs and there are better venues that just couldn't afford to do it anymore like that that's my fear and particularly in australia like there's been a big shift with the national um championships and things where they are just going to government now and they're saying you know they're not even talking to venues they go straight to a government um usually events corporation with the government and say hey do you want to bid for national championships the government will say hey i'll give you x amount of dollars and then they worry about the venue later so you're getting these states that are buying in because they've got bigger budgets and you're not getting the best venues. No. So, and I mean, then is that... Because what happened, you know how they went, they doubled up on Cannonball? Do yeah. you know exactly how that kind of came about? It I, was the damage to the shuttle road at Awaba, as far as I'm aware. Like Awaba had the... Um, and again, don't quote me on it, I might be wrong, but from a pretty reliable source within Oz Cycling, Awaba got damaged by the floods and basically they weren't ready to host. So they needed a last-minute event. Um, Events New South Wales or whatever the government organisation is, they had the money already funded for a national championship, so the logical thing was to go to Cannonball because it was already there. Yeah, Similar to the national series, they've just piggybacked that on top of Cannonball for this year. Yeah, I see that. It frustrates me because I just see how much that everyone puts in it for Cannonball and how it's grown to what it is. And I feel like the national team coming and piggybacking off that, it's like, come on, like we've well, built this. Totally, and yeah. then you've kind of just, oh, we're just going to throw a national title on it and then it's kind of ours as well. I'm just like, yeah, and look, to be honest, like from a venue point of view, the the dollars don't make sense f- for what I was cycling are trying to do with the national level events now. Like I shouldn't say exactly what it is, but they take a very big percentage of your entry fee to host an event. And we've been really open with them, like, as a venue, that doesn't work. Like, you're not going to see the best venues. You don't need that level of money to, you know, have your attendance at the event. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what sort of ruled us out of that space. Like, we're what's what's been the biggest thing or biggest 
or even just to say the easier thing of just doing events in-house. It's just that peace of mind that you don't have someone over your shoulder. You don't have someone trying to take it like... So much easier. But look, yes and no. Like we've used events and other people's events to help grow awareness for the park. So particularly like National Enduro Champs, National Downhill Cross Country Champs. And that brings was eyeballs. Just bringing can, eyeballs yeah. to the park. And then from there we moved up. And it's kind of a process too. Like if we'd gone to... Or Red Bull kind of came to us. But that conversation wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had an Enduro World Cup. And if we hadn't had the national championships, we wouldn't have got the Enduro mm. World Cup. So it's kind of that process. You kind of have to play the game and work your way up to it. But yeah, it is it is much nicer doing our own stuff. And, and the Red Bull thing, we have a lot of flexibility with what we're doing. So it is very much a Red Bull hardline event, but we, we've got a lot of creative license to really bring that event alive, which is awesome. We wouldn't have done it if we felt like it was going to be just another event. That's the thing, I guess, if they come like, all right, we're going to do this, but you go sit over there and we'll just we'll deal with all this. It'd just be a bit yeah. frustrating in a and way. Honestly, the World Cup was the hard one because... I that's, mean, That's how it felt. Yeah, oh, look, we did all the cool shit. So we kind of did everything around the event, but we didn't actually have a great deal of control over the event. And that's okay. But And look, we tried to work as closely as we could with the organiser and it actually worked pretty well. But no one knows our venue like we know our venue. And we've got a, such a good team that it's like... We have everyone we need to do this. Like rather than just hitting walls and running up against people and things the whole time, like it's often easier if you just do it yourself mm. and just get it all done. So no, look, Enduro Jam's a big one for us um, early how December. Many, how many events do you have a year now, like big events? Uh, we're trying to scale back a bit, to be honest. Um, Gravity Fest was sort of, we parked that. We weren't going to do anything with it. So we launched Gravity Fest back in 2018 not long after the park opened. It was kind of our cannonball slash crankwork style event and we were going to grow that out as more of a downhill focused event. We decided to park that over COVID and we never really brought it back alive. But we'd always said, look, if we find something to build into this event to make it, you know, unique and bigger, then we'll bring it back. And that was where the hardline thing came online. But Enduro Jam is our biggest in-house event. So that's a enduro focused event as many laps as you want all day really cool format like great for pros great for punters like we're going to keep growing out that event and looking at bringing that other event into other bike parks that we're developing and managing not just here but overseas so hopefully enduro jam becomes a big thing around the around the place but other than that look we'll look at another world cup for sure hard lines with us for three years but both red bull and the government for three years yeah yeah. So, did you have? Did you want to do that? Like, if we're going to put this amount of money, absolutely. Time, yeah. we're locking in. And look, to be honest, like Red Bull's investing a lot in the venue with us. Like, we're investing a lot too to to allow us to host an event that big. But the government want that surety as well. Like, we got them to jump on board. They put in nearly half a million a year into that event. Which look, we could have probably scratched by without them. But huge help. Mm. To, to get that online as well. But look, we're looking beyond three years. Absolutely. Red Bull have already said, well, you know, we've been in Wales for 10 years. We'd love to do the same thing here. It's crazy to think that when you say it's been around for 10 years. Well, nine like, years. This is the 10th, right? Nine. But yeah, you don't realise. Like I look back through a lot of the old footage recently. I was like, holy shit, this thing's evolved and you kind of forget how long it's been around. Yeah, it makes you feel, well, it makes me feel old. When you go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, <laughs> 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, man. yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Actually, I was talking to Rory Cunningham about Hardline and I totally forgot that he'd raced. I think he's actually won one. He's like, dude, you know I've Did raced. Did he win a Hardline? Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, it. yeah I mean, early on. Yeah. I definitely remember him on the podium for sure. Mm. 
Yeah, because we were chatting about it. I was like, oh, shit, sorry. That's, <laughs> I totally that's such it a, yeah, it's such a, you actually just forget that that stuff's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. I was going to ask you as, as well, um, what's been going on with all the logging that's super close to you guys? Because you said, obviously, you brought a bit of land yeah. off the loggers, but obviously it still backs onto more that they are. Yeah. So to be clear, um, the land we bought at the bottom was private timber plantation. The issues we have currently are all with the state-based logging agency, Sustainable Timber Tasmania. Um, we don't operate on their land with any of our trails. So the, the trails are all with parks and wildlife or privately owned. But what they're doing is they're logging the border of our shuttle road. So their argument is it's not really part of your operation. My argument from a purely business point of view is you're detracting from the experience we provide our guests. Like this is stunning rainforest, big man ferns, massive trees, like that is part of the experience. Um, with us, you're on the uplift as much as you're riding for a lot of people. So it's all part of it. I mean, I have a personal issue with it from a conservation point of view and just a general economics point of view. Like they're not making any money out of chopping those trees down. They lose money on it. So it just seems nonsensical to me that you, you've got this town that's moving from a logging hydro kind of town into now being a, a tourist town and we're just smashing down the forest that... And the reason people like Red Bull come to us is like, hey, you've got great trails. You've got the ability to build what we want you to build. But they're also coming for the environment. Like those broadcast guys are on the hill like, holy shit, this is going to make the most amazing broadcast. Like it is the most epic wilderness environment. And we're just gradually destroying it around the place. Like the park is fine, but let's not fuck the town, you know, the amenity around the town because that's why people are coming. Do you reckon it's almost like spitefulness that... It's, it's spiteful going. now. Yeah, look, to be totally clear, I think that agency is spiteful now. Like, they are deliberately pulling coops online around the park just to piss us off. Like, the other day, they we were, I was talking to the Premier about it and I was arguing that they needed to leave a tree buffer, which they're supposed to do for a tourism asset along the side of the road. Like, I don't agree with the logging at all of the old growth forest personally, but it's like at the very least, like leave the visual amenity so you're not detracting from what we're providing our guests. The, they got word that I was arguing with the Premier about this visual buffer. So they went in when we were closed the day after, moved all their logging equipment in, smashed the buffer, packed up and left so that it was too late for there to be a political intervention about the buffer. So they just left, the, they smashed the buffer zone down and then just left. Like it didn't work for them operationally. It would have been a massive pain in the ass, but they're just making a point. Like they just smashed yeah, all the trees down and just left. Yeah, so you piss someone off and they, for whatever reason. Well, they just knew that I was probably going to get some traction politically and they would have to leave the buffer. So yeah. before I could get political traction, they went in and smashed it. So look, there's a lot of plantation around there, like Bright. No problem with pine plantation. Great. We've all got to wipe our asses on something. We need paper. Like pine plantation, not an issue at all. But the thing with these forests that they're logging now is that they're like 80 to 100 years old minimum. Mm. They've never been clear felled. Like they've selectively taken out trees, but they've never knocked the thing to the ground. And now they come in and just knock it to the ground. It's mm. like you've got Tasmanian devils, you've got quolls, you've got all sorts of wildlife in there and they're just decimated. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the most picturesque places in the entire world. Absolutely. And it's like people are coming here more than ever. To for e that to experience <laughs> yeah. it and then you're like all right fuck you we're, we're gonna cut it all down yeah and then oh man and even like you did say right obviously pine plantation yeah but it is a similar thing where it's they've got to see the value that mountain biking and paragliding has brought into that town mm. 
totally. like, why don't we just give you this little sliver? Cut of, that bit out. Cut that yeah. bit, cut this little bit out. Just let the trees grow. Let the tracks mature. Yeah. Don't have to redo it every year. And just, just, just see, just see if more people come, more money yeah. flows, like everything. Cause you guarantee. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Like we get that argument, the counter argument, Rotorua is used as an example. It's like, well, we're looking right Rotorua. They clear fell the whole place. It makes no difference. The riders don't care. Like, but if you've actually you ridden Rotorua, the trails suck out in the open. Like, the soil's yeah. terrible because it's in the sun. It looks shit ass. Like, it is so much nicer to be in the native forest. Like, people do care. Mm. They just. But how do you say that they come? Like, of course they come back. But yeah. Would more come if you that's, didn't that's do the it? Argument, and would the trails right? be better? Yeah. It's like you can only do that by not cutting them down for yeah. X amount of years. And look, almost all our marketing is built around the environment, around the park. Like, you know, you look at any of the content on our socials, we're not showing you big logged areas. Like, we're showing you big man ferns and trees. And, yeah, that's why people are coming. And that's my argument. It's like Tasmania is so well positioned to have this whole new tourism economy around nature-based tourism and adventure tourism. Like, why can't we be like a Queenstown where Hobart has all these really cool adventure activities and people are out in the wilderness? Like, that's what we should be doing. Well, that's Tasmania. Tasmania is... That's what we are. It's yeah. a tourism destination. Come yeah. here and look at stuff and enjoy it and ride around and see yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. And a huge part of that is the wilderness. So I'm like, look, keep your plantation all good. But the native stuff, just fucking leave it alone. Yeah. Like it's silly. It doesn't make any sense. And look, to be honest, a lot of it's just going to wood chips. Like they get a few floorboards out of it, but most of it's either left on the ground or turned into wood chips. Like it's a political issue where I think you see like WA and Victoria have both stopped old growth logging. I just don't think there's the they feel that they don't have the voter base yet to do it. I think it'll happen one day, hopefully in my lifetime. I'm pushing pretty hard to try and to make it do what I can to make it a reality. Yeah, and it's not like we don't hate the logging industry. I'm not trying to ruin the jobs of the logging industry. It's like just let's be smart about this. Like we need specialty timber to make chairs and boats and other things. Like let them take the odd tree out, like put a higher value on it let them extract the timber they need to do this stuff. Like don't just smash it on the ground and sell it for pennies on the dollar because they can't get their certification. Like they need the global certification to be able to sell it mm. to proper, for pop, proper purposes, that FSC forest stewardship certification. Yeah, They can't get it. They keep failing because they're too shit <laughs> at what they do <laughs> at the end of the day. So no, it's a constant source of frustration. To are, are you feeling like there's some like, it's going in the right direction in some ways or is it all a bit... It is and then you just hit another political brick wall. Like we get a lot of um, interest from the professional riders and things. Like a lot of them have actually written to the government, copied us in like really high level riders saying, look, this sucks. What are you guys doing? Like it, the interest is growing and the awareness of it is growing. Like we're in a difficult space politically where like we have the government funding massive events for us and then in the same breath, like I'm asking them for that funding while I'm publicly criticizing the way they do things like it's a tough line yeah, to walk that's a where weird it is double-edged yeah. sword isn't it yep and it's like i'm not i don't mince my words like i'll tell them what i really think but equally like sometimes you'd have to try and be a little bit diplomatic it's like look mm. we're bringing these massive events to you guys it has a huge impact on the region the park brings in like 25 million plus a year into the local economy like we're doing things but we need you guys to just think a little better about the way you manage the forests because otherwise all that money we're bringing into the economy starts to get jeopardized if you just keep knocking the place down so well, that's what i mean like surely they could see that it's like again you're selling this package make the package as good as possible is going to be beneficial for the both of you not just one of you and i guess they're yeah. seeing it 
as it's just beneficial for you. Yeah, you know, or even our argument is like you've got all this land you could log. Like personally, and I'm very open with them, I don't support you logging the old growth forest at all. But why do it like right in the town? Like you don't even need to be having these arguments. You could yeah. be doing it way the fuck over there. Yeah. And we won't even know about it. But instead, you're like bringing it right up against our operation just to make a point. Mm. Like that organization loves to create conflict, to be honest. Like that's their thing. So it is frustrating. But it, it comes back to burn them. Like they were trying to do all the logging over the EWS and it created such, or the EDR, such a big fuss publicly that they have to back away. And now they've come back and done it. But yeah. It, yeah, we're getting there. Just slowly like stirring but shit for the sake they of were, stirring yeah. shit. Just yep. let's make. Yeah, oh man, that's yeah, it's frustrating. It's yeah. frustrating. Yeah, it really is. And I guess I've dealt with not the same as that. Obviously, Bright is a plantation. Yeah, but it's still you're trying to make things better. Yeah, and then when everything's getting cut down every few years, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, what's? The, I just, oh man, I just got like I think I talked to you about this, and I was like, I don't think you can have a successful mountain bike park in an active plantation. It's hard. It just doesn't... I mean, we did a lot of strategic work in Bright. We've done two strategic plans for the trail network. The first one um, sort of superseded now. We did another one recently, and that's looking at trying to program in trail works so that they can happen in the freshly felled areas. So the way it's sitting right now, there is actually an opportunity to get going soon and build a bunch of stuff that's there for, you know, 20-odd years, which... Mm. That's fine. That works. But even though, like, you just, I don't know, this is me being picky. You go yeah. to Canada or something, these huge pine trees. Like, oh, I would again, much rather. That's it what was, I mean. Yeah. It, it creates an experience that goes with, yep. with the trail network, just like you're saying in Medina, yeah. like these huge trees create an atmosphere and a yep. feeling. And, like, you're trying to create that. If you're going through cut down pine trees, you're like, well, we're, we're going into the set. forest, right? Like, I don't know yeah. why, why you ride your bike, but. For me personally, one of the best things about riding a bike, and this is why I do it early in the morning when no one's around or late at night when no one's around, up in Medina, and the sun's nice, it's shining through the trees, you're just pedaling along. It just resets things in my head. Like it's this busy, stressful kind of day and you're just cracking the shits about everything. You just get on your bike, go for a ride. You feel so much better. I wouldn't feel that if I was not the same, if I was out in this clear felled, shitty space like it's about you know it sounds cheesy but the birds tweeting and the light coming through the trees and the ferns coming over you and it's a pretty special kind of experience and you just don't get that in that clear felled kind of environment like you're there to ride you're not there to have that whole experience which i think for me is part of it mm. definitely and like you say canada's awesome it's big towering pines and like wild rivers and it's and the cool. soil's different it becomes yeah, loam that like canadian loam that's is what so i mean <laughs> like that gets created through keeping the trees there, yeah. not churning them over. Like yeah. just, it's something we can't have because of the logging constantly. Yeah, and maybe we will. I, I, the tides are turning a little bit. I feel like maybe there's an opportunity I'm just there. waiting. Yeah, just waiting. Just wait. I'm, yeah. A, I'm, yeah. In the wing, I'm in the wings <laughs> as soon as they just sell yeah. or change it. It's like, because I, I wanted to do, um, I wanted to do heaps of work there. Yeah. And it just got frustrating because I was like, yeah. you're trying, like you know all about it. You're trying to push yeah. it uphill and it's just, what's the, well, obviously, you benefit out of it for a business, but I was mm. just, I just want a better yeah, you just want to ride. Cool trails to ride. Yeah. Right. Ride and train. Yeah. Obviously that's part of, was part of my job, but yeah. it's, we all just want the same thing. Yeah. We just need to work together and communicate and actually make it. But like you possible. say, I mean, maybe one day uh, the ultimate dream would be if that site just got excised and managed for mountain biking. Like, yeah. It's hard. There is like knowing the back end of it. I know there's a whole bunch of legislation around the way, cause it's, I believe Bright's the same, but most of that um, plantation land is government owned. It's on a long-term lease to the plantations and there's this like thing. a hundred-year lease. Yeah, basically. But this thing called the VPC, Victorian Plantations Corporations Act or something. But they're actually not allowed to do anything that doesn't focus on plantation for that site. So there is a bit of 
bureaucracy that kind of needs to get knocked on the head mm. before you could really progress some of that stuff. Because we tried and it's like, no, nah, you can't do this. It contravenes the blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, you can. You just fucking rezone the land. Like, Yeah. <laughs> if there's ways. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. ways and to do like it. It's like life too. in general. Like you got to know which wall to smash through, which wall to climb over and which wall you're better off just taking a different detour exactly. and doing it differently. But I think that's one of the ones you got to fucking smash through it. It's like. It's just when it gets that loud with money and how much money that mountain biking is bringing into Bright, which is always bringing heaps. It's yeah. just going to get to a point where the la- it just gets too noisy that they're like, okay. We'll change now. Yeah. The old look, ways kind of go on, the new ways here. This is yeah. what it is now. And I don't know, it's probably not public knowledge, but I can talk briefly. We looked at a few other sites for the, the council and the, the um, Alpine community plantations up there to see what their alternative options were, like long term. To be honest, like Mystic is the best place for it. There's oh, a reason far, people are building far, there. Yeah. There's a couple of other opportunities around Porapunka and things, but at the end of the day, it's like, and I think you probably built some stuff up there. <laughs> <laughs> have you written that no nah. oh, highly recommend <laughs> yeah i need to go have a look i gotta go up there again so but yeah i think at the end of the day that's the same thing like we did a bunch of work down in wollongong and they're like oh we really want to move the trails away from mount kira i'm like but it fucking interfaces with the community like that's where people want to be if yeah. you put the mountain bikes in the middle of butt fuck nowhere no one's going to go there they're just going to keep building their illegal trails where they want them like yeah doesn't always work like there's constraints environmental social cultural mm-hmm. etc but we can you got to bring the bikes into the the town yeah yeah i fully 100 percent agree and i know like you say even like poor punker would be good but still it's not bright no it's that's not, the thing bright's the hub and you want to be able to like cruise down to bright brewery at the end of the day you want to be able to ride from your accommodation like, mm. it's so nice to be able to just leave the car like i'm in Maidena, i just park my car don't yeah. touch it I'm there for two weeks straight. My car just sits there for two weeks straight. I ride to the river. I ride the park. I ride home. That's a that's a feeling that I definitely miss about being in Bright is I just would go to my shed, put my gear on, go mm. out my back gate that goes on a rail trail, ride a rail trail all the way to a mountain bike park, ride a mountain bike park for two hours and then ride home. Yeah. Go for a swim, go to the brewery, have a swim, have yeah. a beer, ride home. Like this is it's dreamy. This is not bad. Yeah. This is not bad at all. Because where do you ride here? In the Boomers, Narang, I suppose. Boomers, Narang, um, Ilambar. I've rode out there a few oh, times. Yeah, it's head right, but it's yep. just, you got to go on ride days. And it's yep. just hard. There's like two fences you got to go through. And it's like, mm. you know, when you ride in Europe and you ride a chairlift <laughs> for, that no one's on and you're riding yep. some of the best tracks in the world and you can do 10 laps in an hour and yep. then you come back and you're sitting in a trooper going up a road that you have to stop five <laughs> times and you're just like... Yeah, I'd been to Europe for a while. So, I mean, I, I've ridden there heaps, but... Going back this year, it's like this place is pretty damn good. Like there's just little resorts everywhere, trails everywhere. It's, it's kind of low key up in the mountains, but it's oh, cool. Have it's you really been cool. to Morjan? No, it was all shut when we were there. Yeah, so we ended up lift. going into Valet. Um, we didn't do much resort riding because it was all still opening. Mm. So we did a bunch of shuttles in that Valet kind of Verbier region. And then we kind of went across. I had, the kids got sick, so I'd head home early, but ended up down at Finale. Just, I mean, Finale is magic. Oh, it's, it's you cool. go so many places there and you go, oh. They get it. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, we're talking about political stuff and everything. I know we've both got a friend that's currently on a massive ride of a political thing, Annie mm, Ford. Yeah. You're good friends with her. Yeah. And you see her as being an absolute legend doing the, where'd she go from Cockle Creek in Tassie? Yeah, she's gnarly. Up to, yeah. up to <laughs> where's she finishing at? I, is it Queensland? I think. I know it's in Queensland, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly I'm not what sure the specifically. End, end and then she's going to ride back. So, Annie's doing it for seismic blasting, as I understand, and she's trying to make a point around the damage that does to the environment and for surfing and other things. So 
she does these massive rides and she's a massive downhill ride. She's pretty gnarly. Well, she's got the world record for most elevation descended in for, 24 for hours. Anyone, for anyone, male or female. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Reese and I do that 24-hour charity ride at Maydana. Obviously, different context, to be fair to us. Like, there's no way you could do that many laps there. It just doesn't work. But, like, we're shattered. Like, last year we did 27 laps nonstop of the 820 of vertical at Maydana. And that is hard work. And she, I can't remember how, like, her vertical was insane. It was like 40,000 meters something or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. What, what do you reckon it is about her that's just like, all right, I'm just going to go out and do something that's just so far out there, but, like, got a good cause behind it? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I think she's done one or two of them. And then you kind of, you, you learn that your limits are probably a little different yeah. than what you realized. I mean, we even got that with the first charity ride. Like, we do it for kids' cancer. So we raised 20000 last year. But the first year we did it, we did 15 hours. And I was like, oh, that's enough. Look, let's just not. We've never done this thing before. We'll just me and Reese do it till we know what it's like. And then we'll bring some other people along for the ride. 15 hours, we're like, oh, shit, that was hard. And then the next year, it's like, oh, we'll go for 24. We talked about 36. And it's like, no, let's just go for 30 laps. So 30 laps is the goal for this year. But again, I think same with Annie. You just kind of... And her shit's on another level, to be clear. Mm. But you kind of just get to a point and you're like, well, I didn't think I could do that. And then you do it and you're like, well, I wonder what else I could do. And then you kind of keep building on that. And I think for her, she's just kept going. She's got a really good base fitness and she's motivated. And yeah, she's doing That's pretty cool, cool stuff. Way. Yeah. I think, like you said, you doubt what you're capable of. 100%. And then people will reinforce that into you. Yeah. And it'll create this idea that like, oh, I can't really do that. And people do. Like you get that all the time with everything that I've tried to do over the years. There's always people that are well-meaning most of the time. Like, oh, don't leave your job. Why would you do that? Or that won't work out. Like, It'll never work out. That's a crazy idea. It's fuel, like, man. It's fuel. Yeah. It's yeah. fuel. <laughs> like every time someone doubts you, I always say it's like gasoline. Oh, it's, it's like massive fuel. It's even the hardline thing. Like even just the internet banter about, oh, they won't get the riders down there. It's like, well, fucking believe me, this rider list is insane. And, oh, they won't be able to build a hardline course. It's like, just wait and see. <laughs> but how good is that when you get those people that do doubt you? I, I use it as fuel, man. I love when people say yeah. you can't do something because it's like, watch this. Yeah. And then you channel that and build on that. No, it's funny because my team now understands it. Like, they'll see it in me. And Reese in particular is like... I know what's going on here. <laughs> you, see that you get that bit of, bit of banter from yeah. the haters and he's like, oh, look out. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah. But it's good, here man. Go. Like I think it's, yeah. it's, I think it's epic if you channel it into the right Yeah, you got to channel it. And mm. I think it's hard. Like sometimes I can get a little lost in the noise. It's like there's just too many things going on. But it does fuel you, absolutely. Mm. Like you don't want too much of it. It kind of brings you down. But <laughs> just enough. Just, just enough. enough. Like there's a level of shittiness in life that I think motivates you. It's mm. good. But I think, like, I guarantee Annie's probably in stages on that ride where she's hurting, she doesn't want to be there, she hates yeah. every second of this, and you go into some thought in your brain of someone going, oh, no, there's no way you can do this. And yeah. I think when you think that, you're like, I don't want that person to be right, I want to be right. So yeah. then you channel that and then use it. But And she said it a bunch. She's like, you just kind of get to a point and you think you've got to the limit. You're like, oh, I'm going to ride 200 Ks today. You get to 200 and you're like, probably got a little bit more in me and you go a little bit more and you're like well you know it's not dark yet i'll just keep going mm. so it's that thing where you kind of set these limits on yourself and then just stop or do you set the limit and then just try and push past it every time mm. yeah. she's a good example of that I, absolutely i think that's a great lesson how i came up here once and i wanted to run a marathon I never i've never run more than 10 k's <laughs> before I was like, i'm gonna run a marathon and i talked to my friends and they're like you got to train blah 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 i need months blah 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 like kind of and got in my own head Anyway, I got up to Queensland. I was like, when I get to Queensland, I'm going to run a marathon. No reason, no race, yeah. no nothing. 
And I started running it. And like you say, you just go, I'll just get to 10Ks. And you get to 10, mm. you're like, oh, I'm still okay. Get to 20Ks. And I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I walk for a bit. Yeah, exactly. I walk the last yeah. however many Ks. And I think that's like what you're saying is like set goals. And if you get to them, it gets hard. Just keep walking. Yeah. And like walk through that hard patch and then, okay, I can run again and then start yep. running again. But don't just stop and get off the ride. Like don't just stop and go, oh, okay, yeah. I'm done. Because you don't know how much further you can no, go. No, and look, that's life too, right? Like I think I, I've fallen into that trap quite a few times. You think, so people will say to you, oh, you've made it, you've made it. Yeah. Like firstly, they, they have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> but secondly, like I used to think, oh, if I do this, I've made it. Or I've done this, i made it. I mean, that was like a 20-year-old 20, 20 mindset, I suppose, where you're kind of like, oh, if I just get to this point, if I get that car, or if I get this thing or that house, or that's made it. But then you realise like there is no fucking made it. Like mm. no one's made it. They're making it. Like And you don't want to make it. No, exactly. You don't, like, like what are you gonna do if you make it? Like just done. sit back. Yeah, you're like, okay, I've made it. High yeah. point of my life. I'm just gonna sit in this for how long? Yeah, and that's the same sort of argument around that kind of working and retirement kind of thing. It's like, I don't wanna retire. Like I never wanna retire. I wanna work differently as Diff- I get older for sure, but I don't wanna fucking retire. I've like, got I've got a um, I read this last night. And I thought it was really cool. And it's kind of like what we're talking about here. It goes, achieving a goal by itself will never make us happy in the long term. It's who we become as we overcome the obstacles necessary to achieve those goals that can give you the deepest and most long-lasting sense of fulfillment. Yeah, it's not the, it's not the goal. It's, it's even like... transform into, yeah, yeah. why you were trying to achieve the goal. But you forget. I mean, even recently when we had that World Cup, I'd kind of put everything into this World Cup, like up on the hill with the guys, doing all my other day jobs, but just trying to get everything dialed. Get to the end of the World Cup, you just hit this fucking hollow. You're like, oh man, I'm so tired. But I kind of hit the goal and all I was focused on was the goal of like nailing this World Cup event. Mm. Now what the fuck are we going to do? Like you almost hit a bit of a low point in your life. You're like, everything's amazing. We just knocked this thing out of the park. But I need something else to focus on. Like mm. there's no end point. Like it's just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. But you need that. Like if you yeah. didn't have the next thing, what well, do you what do? I do. You and do? I think it's important that everyone has something, some version of that. Like it's always going to be different, but you need something to work towards. I think that's how you can, you see here like a lot of athletes when they retire and they go mm. into alcohol, drugs. Yep. And I know when I first went to Europe to race when I was 16, 17, I remember I got back and I went to school and I was like depressed. Just because I'd been like yeah. Europe, 16, 17 year old kid racing in front of thousands of people, doing what I love. Imagine the bottom, the finish area, world champs. Yeah, everyone's cheering. And Back yeah. in math class, trying to work out equations. And I'm yeah. like, this, what am I doing for life? Yeah. yeah. But that was a massive like, okay, I've achieved this goal. And that's where it's so hard. I think you see, and someone like Nathan Rennie has been pretty public about it. Like a lot of those athletes have massive battles and you need something else. Like you can't just fall off a cliff at the end of your career. Like there's got to be something to move on to my biggest thing i think is okay you've got all this knowledge experience skill pass that on give that to someone like give that to an yeah. upcoming kid give that to someone that then can use it and better themselves because that's like a legacy thing too like i mean legacy sure. is a bit of an ego thing at the end of the day but still it's important that you're imparting and leaving something and it's like i think, if you're I think it is an ego thing but it's yeah. just how you balance it and yeah because i remember when Sam and Troy were racing together and Troy was obviously slower than Sam. Yeah. I think they went to Threadboat and Troy beat Sam by two seconds. Yeah. And then they stopped riding together. Yeah. And I just thought that was, I'm like, yeah. I remember seeing that. I was like, I never want that to be my reality. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was funny because I used to go to Ollie Davis's house in the morning after yeah. the gym and he would be getting ready to go to school. Yeah. And we were chatting one morning. I remember it so clearly. We were chatting in the kitchen and I just joked around like, oh, you're getting pretty fast, Ollie. 
And he's like, oh, you're going to be so annoyed when I'm faster than you. <laughs> and I just remember I stopped and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so happy, hey. Yeah, Because yeah. it's like that's what you want. You want yeah. to them to go past where you've ever been. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's hard too though, I suppose. Like you got someone like Sam who's been around for so long and there's such a persona around Sam in particular. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's I kind of gave up my racing really early on, but it just wasn't for me. I feel like I would have burnt out a little bit of the sport. I'd gone down that pathway. Like now I do way more with mountain biking than I ever would have probably. But mm. yeah, it wasn't for me. Was there a point when you go, okay, this isn't for me? Or was it just kind of continuous like, oh, I don't want to put as much work in. These guys are X fast. I'm like, oh, I'll just go do I this. Just, my heart wasn't in it at the end of the day. Like <laughs> I just wasn't training hard enough. And I I wasn't falling out of love with riding. I've always ridden. I've never been one of those people who's like on and off and on and off. But just wasn't really my. Did you feel thing. your relationship like when you would ride, you would focus on trying to go fast, not have fun? Is that a part of that it? That was definitely part of it. And look, to be honest, I, I did enjoy the training, like the physical training, not technical training, but mm. I just wasn't really that into it. Like I, I raced pretty competitively. Like I raced at World Champs, didn't have a great run, like flat tire, injury, whatever else. But it's like that was kind of enough for me. I kind of mm. got to that point. I was like, I don't really want any more out of this. Mm. It's not really serving where I want to be. Or like I don't want to be traveling the world on the World Cup circuit. It just like it didn't motivate me. So mm. I mean, it's a cool thing to do. It just wasn't for me personally. I think that's like you said there. Like that was enough. And so well, many people I, don't. I feel like I didn't have anything enough. to offer it to. Like I feel like now I'm in a position where I've got a lot to offer the mountain bike world like we can do lots of things we can design massive trail destinations we can help build them we can facilitate juniors into world cups we can run these massive events like that's the purpose for me now like i can give back yeah something you know lots to the sport i think and for racing it just wasn't i didn't feel i had that but i guess that's being self-aware enough to know okay this is not... And I wasn't probably good enough either, <laughs> to, yeah, to but, be fair. But again, I don't think you can ever be good enough if your heart's not in it. No, well, that's it. That's look, I was beating a bunch of those guys. It wasn't... But they had a talent that was... And I had a natural talent and I didn't work that hard on it, but it just wasn't... I just wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. That's like, again, the self-awareness to go, okay, this is enough. Next yeah. thing. That's what I was dealing with for the last three years mm. was that whole battle of, is this enough? Yeah. I'm still, like I said to you, I'm not, I'm not doing terrible. I'm not doing great. Yeah, like you could hang in there for longer, but do you want to hang in there for longer? Like, well, I, Scott offered me a two-year deal last year, yeah, and I just said, just give me a one. Like, yeah. I, I don't. I don't, that's where I'm at. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. and then I, after the first three races, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is, yeah, this is done. And it was so freeing to accept. Like, it was actually, oh, totally. Everyone was like, oh man, like they almost felt sorry for me. Like, I'm happy, man. Like, yeah, it's like Once it's like a way. Finally made that. It's a way. Yeah. But it was funny as well because I went first three World Cups didn't even qualify for, or got really hurt at Leo Gang, had a big yeah. crash, and then came home, did some work. Was like, what do you want to do? Decided, okay, I'm retiring. Yeah. Went back and raced the next three. Had the most fun I've had on my bike yeah. in so long because there was no pressure it's about- It's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I put all this pressure on myself. Oh, do I want to stay? Do I want to get yeah. out of the year? Do I, like, I need to perform, blah, blah, blah. And then I rocked up. I was like, I'm just going to enjoy. If this is it, if yeah. this is done, I'm going to enjoy these last little bit of racing. Yeah. And I did. And I thought it was sick. And I was yeah. like, how do you carry that mindset into something even when you are super passionate about it? Yeah. That's the- because you want to be concerned about it, but you also want that mindset. It's like, if it doesn't work out, eh, yeah, I'll, I'll find like, something I'll, else. I'll find something else. Yeah. That's it. And that's been hard This like uh, for a couple of riders this year. Like you watch Gwyn and um, Manar in particular, yeah. who were both like talking about retirement. And they just, uh, Gwyn smoked himself in round one and Manar mm. got a couple of flats or whatever happened to him. But 
didn't have great years. It's like I think I was talking to someone the other day, but now I was at um, Fort William with the whole team, like ready to retire. And then he, I think he got a flat from memory, you might remember, but mm. something happened and it's like, fuck, now what? Like I don't want to go out on that. Yeah. So that's the hard one too for, for guys like that. Like I, I know Greg pretty well now and just I remember – I remember chatting with him when I was kind of at the point where I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And you could see that, and it's it's this whole like Michael Jordan, Greg Minard, like Tiger Woods, best mm. best of the best. I'm like, what is enough? Yeah. And how much will you put yourself through hell? Well, I mean, he figuring had, he out that had question. enough years ago from That's an outsider's I mean. point of That's view. That's what I mean. Yeah. I'm like, why do you, like, why? What have you got to prove? Oh, yeah. This is like the G. Atherton thing the other day. Like G was coming to Medina to do hardline media. So I was meant to be in the States. I was going to Rampage. The whole thing kind of moved around and he was flying down. And it was like, well, like we saw that drop that he was building and I sent it to the Red Bull guys. And I was like, fuck, like this is crazy. Like, I don't know. Hopefully he makes it down. Like, let's just keep the media thing tentative. Don't want to be negative, but like there's a real reality here that he's not going to make that drop. Mm. And, yeah, he didn't make the drop. It's like, I mean, he's motivated by some weird shit. <laughs> like the Dude, stuff the he crash, does. After yeah. that crash I saw on the ridgeline, man, that that's brought it, got to be probably one of the most, like, heart-wrenching, just it's heavy. sick in your stomach, yeah. just like, man. And, look, I, I'm not dissing it at all. It's incredible what he does, and he's got motivation from a place I don't have. No, but, but it's just what's enough. It's like, that's what, the, what have you got to prove now, exactly. dude? Like, you've done it. You don't don't fucking kill yourself. Like, none of the community want that from you. Like, we, we've had enough. Like, just go and do something else. You've got your bike brand, you've got your bike park with Dan, and, mm. like, you don't need to be sending it off 25-meter cliffs. Like, mm. we don't – I don't know. That made me really uncomfortable. And, like, <laughs> and that's what I was saying to when people come up to me, oh, they're, like, bummed about it when I retired. And I was like, dude, I'm happy yeah. because I've realized what enough is yeah. and backed myself enough to go, yeah. yeah, that's the right decision. Like you said when you're like, I don't want to do nursing anymore and I want to do this. It's like you back yeah. yourself yeah. or you don't want to do racing. It's just like you back yourself. Yeah. And when you actually have that, like, inner talk where you're like, what do I really want? What does Dean want to do? Not yeah. what does my sponsors, what does my family, what does my friends, what is society, what is all this shit? Yeah. And I think deep down, you know, right? Like oh, for sure. you get yeah. to a point and you, you can fool yourself. Definitely. You can be like, Oh, you know, I've just such a hard decision. I'm really not sure. You fucking know. Yeah. Like most of the time when it comes to a big catalyst kind of decision like that, you, you fucking know what you need to do. Yeah. Like there's no, you're, you're going to have doubts obviously. But I think for me, like you get to that point, you make the decision and you just forget about the other bit. It's like move on, like dissect it, move on mm. and just focus on what you've committed to. Mm. And then it's fine. Like it's not that big a decision and it's just life at the end of the day. Like if you do something that doesn't work out, it was like when we started the bike park, like it was a huge investment. Like we put everything into this thing and there was a very real reality that it wouldn't work, right? <laughs> like if in fact the vast majority of people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Like yeah. this is this place is in the middle of nowhere. There is nothing in this town. There's nothing on the hill. You have no outside investment. It's a terrible idea. Like, it will never work. And you're like, well, you know, I still need to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I've okay, that point. Grab the yeah. And I think I said to a few people at the time, it's like, look, I've made some money and I've been relatively successful at doing the things that I was doing. I can go out and buy a whole bunch of meaningless things that at the end of the day are not really going to improve my life. I'm going to look cool with a boat and a nice car or something. But... Mm does it matter if I lose it? I'm just going to fucking make the money back again. Like you've got to have confidence that, you know, like, yes, I'll probably hit rock bottom. It's going to be terrible, but that's what we talk about when you're walking for a bit. Okay. You hit rock bottom. That's your, that's your walk. 
and then you get going again you start running and then you go okay well, next thing and it just it it's just, just a cycle keeps man. going i was like hey, look I've, I've done quite well and i if it falls over i'll do quite well again like mm. you've got to have that belief of like I don't know. You'll figure it out. It'll work out. It'll figure It'll work itself out. out. I mean, I'm an eternal optimist, which frustrates some people, but you kind of have to be yeah. at the end of the day. It's like, otherwise you never get anywhere. And it's like the, the risk in that, in terms of starting the bike park was if I didn't do it, there was a far greater risk that I would have to live with that forever and be far. And that goes back to that cancer nursing kind of thing where when you're dealing with someone on their deathbed, the biggest thing that they will regret is not, recognizing other than you know shittiness with loved ones which is a whole other piece but in terms of personal stuff like the biggest thing they regret is not realizing their potential mm. in whatever it might be so I'd, that's far bigger risk to me it's like the risk of getting to the end of the road and being like fuck i left so much on the table like mm. that's a that's a that's the biggest risk literally the biggest risk did you see people on their deathbed like that absolutely yeah Absolutely. I mean, the whole family shittiness thing, like that's one of the things that I've been really firm on. It's like, I just won't deal with shitty people in my life. I just cut them out. Like if people are shitty generally and on in an ongoing basis, I just refuse to deal with them. It's like I have a pretty strict line where it's like, if you're going to be shitty, I'm just going to fucking... Yeah, you're not, you're not serving me, you're not helping me. not serving me, me at all. Me like if, you, if you've got personal issues and there's a problem there, I'll help you through it. Absolutely. But if you're just being shitty for the sake of being shitty, it just... No. We don't need that noise. We don't need that. But no, definitely seeing people where they're at that end of the road point and it's like they know that they don't have very long left. It's like there will often be regrets around things that they didn't do. Like you'd never talk to someone that'd be like, oh, geez, I regret doing this, this and this. Like mm. people don't regret doing things. You regret not doing things. Mm. So I Well, think, I guess you just got to choose your regret. Yeah, exactly. No matter what You're what always you going to regret something. something yeah. yeah. Because if you go through this door, you don't go through that door. There's always, totally. But I think you've got to come up with, you've got to know yourself enough to go, what regrets can I live with and yeah. what can I not live with? Yeah, exactly. And I guess the other part of it is like, you don't want to completely burn yourself out trying to get to a goal that's too far away. Like there's, there's something in the middle there where you're like, you've got to just keep building and building and building. But I think to me, there's nothing worse than not realizing the potential that you had to do mm. whatever you really believe and strongly mm. want to do. Like you, you that's just the, really don't want to die knowing, hey, or not no, knowing, not knowing, knowing yeah. yeah, or just regretting not taking the chance. Yeah, it's not, like not doing the jump when you, yeah, totally. You yeah. just got to jump. Like you get to a point, and you're like, I've got a good plan. I believe in everything I've put together. Everyone mm. else might not believe it, and sometimes, yeah, you do have to listen. Mm. But you get to a point, and you're like, I, I'm just going to do it. Mm. And that's back to that no plan B thing. Like yeah, not having the safety net will give you the momentum you need and the drive you need to make it work. Mm. It's like we got to a f quite a few points with COVID and floods and fires and everything else where nothing's working. You've got no money and you're like, what the fuck do I do? But you're at this point now, there is no turning back. Yeah, the like boats are on fire. The boats are on fire. Like there is no way home. Like you either just fucking bunker down and give up or you just find a way through. Mm. There's always a way through. Like I guess at some point you've got to give up, but... No, well, like I said, yeah. Yeah, there, if you, there, you'll find a way if you really you believe, find if you really believe it. Yeah. If you were to say you were to die tomorrow, would you have a, like a big regret that you haven't done something yet? I, no, I don't think so. Um, to me, it's, to be honest, spending more time with my kids is what it would come down to But because they're everything to me. But in terms of, no, I, I haven't left much on the table. Like honestly, I, no. It's a pretty Not freeing really. feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it when is. When you Absolutely. have that feeling, you're yeah. like, if it was all to go tits up tomorrow, 
I'm, I'm happy. I'm well, content. I've done, I've done a, a fair bit. I've done a fair bit. And that's the thing. It's like I've actually done a fair bit. Like objectively, it's not arrogance. It's like I've done a fair bit through hard work and determination and sheer will most of the time. But yeah, you log a few miles and do a few things. And I don't know, like there's still lots I want to do, obviously. And we've got other bike parks we're building and other things we want to do. Like so much more to offer. But I wouldn't get to a point where I was like, fuck, I've just left all these opportunities on the table. Like that's mm. not the way I operate. Yeah, you're not stacking <laughs> them all up. No, I mean, there's lots of things you want to do and you have to prioritise and you get to a point where there's more opportunities than time to do them. So you've always got to leave some things and yeah. just move on. Yeah. But that's a good problem to have yeah. at the end of the day. And that's not leaving things on the table. It's just knowing that prioritizing you've got you a limited time and bandwidth and you've got to focus on something. Otherwise, you're just going to fucking spin out. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. If just say you were um, to die tomorrow and you're happy, you've done everything. Getting morbid. <laughs> yeah. I always ask people this. No, no, like, it's good. How um, how do you want to be remembered if you did go out? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think it, as much as anything it would be someone that didn't leave anything on the table. Like, and I think from people who are close to me, and there's not that many people, but they would hopefully believe that already. And someone who cared and supported and gave 110 percent to everything which mm. i do like i'm i'm not the kind of person that just fucks around on the sidelines like once i commit to something i do it but yeah just someone that's been hard working and you know, supportive of their friends and family and are you so, are you someone that if you say you're going to do something you, you just you've got to do it even if it's almost at your detriment to to keep continuing chasing that thing sometimes i mean i've you get pretty good at changing course like we've changed course on lots of different things over the years with business and other things in life but yeah I, look i'm not afraid of what people think of me so in the sense of like people judging you like we live a pretty different kind of life like we have a house up here we have a house in hobart the house at Medina, we move the kids around. Some people are judgmental of that. Our kids are amazing. They love it. We move them around schools a bit. We can do a bit more time up here. We're going to try and get an apartment in Whistler and spend some time over there every year. Like we don't do things normally and like people judge, like schools judge, parents judge. People will always have an opinion on you, but I just don't give a fuck anymore. And I think from that point of view, it's pretty freeing. Like not worrying what people think allows you to be a lot more, you know, flexible and just be authentic to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Yeah, and if people don't like it again, I just—if you're really shitty, I'll just burn you to the ground. Yeah, so I mean, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just, yeah, you, yeah. It's just not important. It's like the the relationships that are important to me, I will cherish them and work super hard to maintain those. But the others, I just have no time for. Yeah, just, just walk away at that point. It's just just walk this away. Doesn't, this doesn't serve me. What are you doing? It doesn't serve me. It's not much. helping me. It's not helping me on my journey to achieve whatever I want to achieve. So what's the point of worrying about it? Mm. I have this conversation with a lot of people like, fuck, you must just get sick of people having a go at you over this or that. It's like, it actually doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> it's really not. It's just background noise. Mm. Like occasionally it gets you down or occasionally you use it to, like we are saying before, motivate you to push on and do something. But it's just background noise at the end of the day. Well, it's always like, I don't know how strangers can make you so angry because like they don't know you. Exactly. Your family can make you angry. Yeah. Your parents can make you angry. Like the people you're so close to, your brother, your sister. But yeah. that's because there's such attachment to that person. Well, you respect their opinion, right? But it's like some rando on the street that doesn't like the way you did something or doesn't like some bike park that you built somewhere else. I'm like, I mean, that's valid. I'll take the feedback in that situation. But some people are just shitty. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, you're saying this okay. sucks. You're like, why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay, your opinion, that's fine. Cool. Like, no, no problem at all. You're entitled to that. Mm. It's all good. 
And there's there's always people like that. But they won't give you constructive criticism. They'll just say, this sucks. And you go, okay, well, yeah. how do we make it better? How do we work yeah. on this? And it's like, no, nah, you don't get that information. Well, I think too, like a lot of people don't understand the context. Like it's really easy to stand on the sidelines and have an opinion. But unless you've actually been involved in a process, like you have no idea why decisions were made the way they were made when it comes to anything. I and mean, it's the same with that whole ESO Warner Brothers thing. Like unless you have some visibility of why they've done the things they've done, you don't really know why. Like mm. we can definitely pick at the, the communication because that is something they can genuinely improve at. But in terms of the broader way they've done things, like we don't know why they made those decisions. It'd be nice yeah. if they told us a little bit more. But That's the thing because I yeah. was a bit worried with doing all this and the Eddie thing. I was like, I don't want to get so loud because I don't know. So I was just getting yeah. loud about not knowing. And that's a real thing that should have been done. That was, again, my big thing. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to come on here and just go, this is wrong and that's wrong because I see that from so many different angles through the sport. I'm like, that's not And come helping. with solutions too. Like people that are just, you know, throwing shit against the wall from the sidelines is not helpful. Yeah. But if you can like, hey, from my perspective, it would be amazing if you could do this, this and this. That would make a massive difference. Mm. And then they've at least got something. Like mm. we get it all the time. Like people will come and have feedback. Like generally our feedback's like 99.9% .9 amazing. Occasionally we get something constructive. It's like really helpful. It's like, hey, I was with you guys today and – this, this, and this didn't quite line up. And if you'd done this a little bit differently, then this would work. And it's like, that's awesome. Like have a free uplift, great feedback. We'll take that on board and do something with it. Like, I think having that is awesome, but just being like this sucked. It's like, yeah, what do you do with that? You don't yeah, do I can't do anything with that. Yeah, it's, it's not helpful at all. I don't, This I just can't come up with this idea while you were talking about that. It's like, why didn't they give, just say the World Cup, for example, every rider, when you go get your number plate, there's a QR code, you scan it, and you fill out in a, like a little survey, what would you like to see at mm. this event, more events, whatever. And then you can either fill it out then or after the race or do two. Yeah, or just like do one after the race. It's like yeah. what, what was good, good what, what was, was bad. bad. Yeah. Exactly. How can we improve? Any comment? Easy. Have and then someone. it's like you have a voice then. Yeah. You have somewhere to throw your energy, not just like this event sucked. You're like, okay, why? And I do wonder, and I don't know, but I do wonder if some of it was just that they needed to move so quickly that taking on too much feedback was just going to slow them down because obviously they didn't have long, like now yeah. they've got more time. But at the start, it's like we suddenly have to organise a whole World Cup from scratch and mm. we've got to build this team. And I know talking to Chris, he's like, all we're doing is just hire, 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 hire like a hundred and something staff mm. in a couple of weeks. So I know that there was a whole lot of shit going on and look, that's probably part of it. Mm. But yeah, moving forward, that communication piece is, I think, key. Mm. Yeah, it felt like it was almost a bit rushed at the at the beginning when yeah when they were getting it off the ground and and look to be honest that's where I think we can maybe try and influence a little bit with like the way we treat athletes at Hardline and the way we manage athletes at Hardline and the way we treat them and manage them at the World Cups that we have like hopefully we're sort of slowly influencing a little bit of that again from the sidelines but I know we had an influence over the guys. The, the Warner Brothers guys, when we hosted the World Cup, like a bunch of our ideas were things that they're now using, mm. you know, across the series and things. So you can make change from the sidelines. You just have to persist. Well, that's the thing. If you do something so good, so bright, so loud, so amazing, people are going to come. People pay attention. Yeah, yeah, they pay attention. They come. They see it. Yeah. And people, people realize that. And we're just like, look, we're not doing it to try and be cool. Like we're doing it because we give a fuck about the sport <laughs> and we want to make it better. And if some of these ideas that we're engaging with and developing to make it better, make it beyond us, cool. I don't want credit for any of that. I don't give two shits. Just make it better. Mm. Like it's not about us or even Maydina, the venue, anything else. Like 
let's just make the sport better. And I think these small things and focusing on the event and the community and the athletes, like we need to get back to the core of that a bit more. I think it's doing your best. Pretty much is just like, how good can this be done? I want to do my best. It's like you say, it's not trying well, to be cool. You just want to make like if, it. If you're doing your best, people will generally They'll see be it. happy because they see, know yeah. that you're doing your best. It's only when you're doing your best and you're still miles away from where you need to be. Yeah. And you're battling along and nothing's happening. Then they're going to be shitty. But if you're like nearly there and they're having a good time, but they can see that you're working your ring out at mm-hmm. the event, like racing around, doing everything, actually giving a shit about them, people are pretty happy then. Mm. They really yeah, genuinely it's, it's, are. Yeah, if you can see it, if you can see there's effort getting put yeah. in, I think that was a... Again, coming back to this year, it's just it's not that you don't see effort, you just don't see pe- like there's no face to it. Yeah, that was a big thing. It was like Warner Brothers. Yeah, like who is Warner Brothers? Like yeah, <laughs> there's there's people that work for Warner Brothers, but yeah, who do we go to? Who do we talk to? Who's our point of contact? That's where I think that athlete liaison person would be amazing. Like Red Bull have someone like that, and we will be working with them at Hardline to really have that dialogue with the athletes. Again, a little easier because it's smaller. Yeah. We're not dealing with the factory teams and all that kind of thing. But if you want to go smaller anyway for the World Cup, you've got to get better at it. Mm. Like You need to be more engaging with your athletes and consultative rather than just like this top-down, this is the way we're doing things. Mm. But if that doesn't work for the athletes, at some point, they will go somewhere else. Like yeah. I know that's a huge other thing. And a, you know, look at golf and like eventually if you really burn out the athletes, something else will happen. Yeah, they're going to go. Yeah. They won't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I fully see that. And I see as well when you say those bigger teams, like the team managers have their own agenda that's separate to the riders. Yeah. And that is something that we dealt with because you've got a team manager that goes and speaks. They're not speaking for you. They're speaking for the team. Yeah, exactly. And, and like they have a whole different range of incentives. Yeah. And, yeah. You're a part of the team. Yeah. They're speaking for the team. Yep. So it's like what you want gets lost in translation at some point. Yeah. That. So that's another factor where if you go to hardline, you just gone straight to the athlete. Yeah, like exactly. The you have that direct dialogue. Like we'll be doing twice a day athlete meetings, running through everything for the day, like weather and practice and logistics and how are we doing? Like, what do you need? How's the food? Is the accommodation all right? Like, you know, that to me, that's important. Like they are the reason there is Red Bull hardline. Like, mm. It's not the course, it's not the venue, it's not me, it's not our staff, it's the athletes. Like they're the core of all of it. And if we nail that bit and then build the event around it, like you've got it. Like that's oh man, it's like again, so simple. So like keep the athlete happy. Yeah. Imagine if and it's this is blowing this out of proportion, but at the same time it's kind of not. Okay, you got a rock band. Just say you got A C D C that's flying in. The promoter doesn't pick them up from the airport, doesn't give them a room to prepare in doesn't give them anything and then they just go up and play in front of thousands of people. Do you think you're going to get a good show? No. Not their best. No, they're going to sure. be pissed. They're going to yeah. be like, where's our... For example, when we warm up, they put up a like 20 by 20 easy ups with a, like a roof that always blows away. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it's just yeah. something as simple as that. You don't even give a shade yep. to, to warm up. There's yeah. one quarter potty, stuff like that. Yep. And... It wears on you, man. Oh, like, yeah, it It's would. a massive reason that... Yeah. Not a massive reason, but it is a reason. It's like, and I think the other part of that too is like, that's been... If that's... And I don't know. That, I'm sure that's been happening for a while. It's like if you were seeing gradual improvement, people would probably be okay about it. They'd yeah, be like, just not. oh, well, they're getting better. You know, they've got two porta potties and you're like, yeah. oh, it's not enough yet. Like, well, then next time we get three. Mm. Hey, we really need four. Like, you know, if there's that gradual iterative mm. improvement people are generally pretty happy. Like they don't expect everyone to be at their best straight away. And I think that's the same with that whole Warner Brothers deal. It's like, look, you guys did some really cool stuff. 
he did some stuff that hasn't worked, semis, other bits and pieces. But like, as long as you're willing to keep working and improving, that's fine. But if you still got one porta potty in a shitty tent after ten years, like no one's gonna be happy. Yeah, and, and stuff can, does matter. Yeah, you need to improve at least visually a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like or just it. be showing that you're trying to improve. Mm. I think that's one of the big things. It's like just get better incrementally and mm. people will be happy. They're not expecting you when some people are, but they don't expect your perfect best self, best event at round one. Yeah, Like I was at Lenzard, it was a pretty fucking good event from a spectator point of view. Massive crowds, village was great. Last drop, as we were saying earlier, was kind of janky and I spoke to them about that and that's where we ate shit. But it was a cool event. Like the broadcast yeah. was massive. Mm. Commentating a bit weird, but broadcasting, great. And I've heard yeah. that the numbers are getting... Quite, yeah, quite they are. Now. Yeah, they really are. By the sound of things, so, like talking to Carlso and the crew about it, like they're they're getting the numbers, mm. and that's look. I hope they do because if they can sell the broadcast, reduce the cost for some of the venues that are paying for a lot of the broadcast, you're going to get better venues at mm. the end of the day. Like it's very hard to justify a multi million dollar spend on a World Cup or two as a marketing exercise. Like you can do a hell of a lot for a couple of million dollars, mm. other than a World Cup. Like if you're comparing the two. And that's why places like, what does Whistler need a World Cup for? They don't need the marketing. They're not going to go and get a World Cup. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But then all the purists are like, we need to go. We need to go. Yeah. We need I to mean, that $11.99 course looked sick. It's pretty mental. And it definitely smoked a few juniors, but it was cool. Yeah. Like from an elite athlete point of view, it looked really cool. Mm. But they won't have a World Cup, I don't think. It's just not. Well, it comes back to why. Why? They don't need it. Yeah. Like they're busy anyway. Yeah, we're yeah. busy and then we can do it all ourselves. Yeah. We don't want someone to come and tell us what to do. Say, say we're doing something wrong where we don't even really want you here anyway. Yeah. What's like... Um, What's the incentive? Talking about whether we'd host a national series round. It's like, we don't need a national series round. Why would we? Like It's just working with Oz Cycling. Sorry, Oz Cycling, but you are painful to work with <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Like, it, we don't need it. Yeah. But then everyone comes to you and they go, oh, come on, we need to do this. I'm like... No, we don't. Yeah, we yeah. like, but they think that just... Yeah, and it's even the World Cup thing. Like, we've almost gone full circle, but I still want to do it because I'm a racing purist and, like... My heart's in it for the racing, but we don't really need a World Cup now. Like Hardline's amazing. We've got that for several years. Like arguably World Cup, we don't really need it. I still want to do it because I feel like we've got something to offer as a mm. venue and a unique take and a unique event delivery that I think will hopefully influence the sport a little bit. But mm. we don't need a World Cup. Definitely not. If you if you were to go back and do this from the start, like you've just brought the bike park and you've got it and you could go back and change something to get to the, like the whole, about to, you're about to host a World Cup. What would you do differently going from that point to now? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, to be honest, not a lot. Like nothing macro. There's obviously like small things that you would change and do differently and we've made heaps of mistakes. But if we hadn't made those mistakes, we wouldn't have learned and we wouldn't have got to where we are today and where we'll be in 10 years time so honestly no regrets definitely no regrets was was there something harder that you didn't expect and then again was there something easier that you also didn't expect i think it's been really hard for sure um has it been harder than i expected or just it was a certain thing that happened that you're like oh i thought that was going to be a lot easier and then i thought it would be hard at the start i thought like the first couple of years would be hard and then i'd be able to just kind of sit back and enjoy it 
that hasn't really happened. <laughs> it's just been hard every fucking year. But in saying that, like it's a good hard. Like you get burnt out sometimes, but it's a good hard. So no, nothing. I mean, the approvals process for us was really hard. And to be honest, like we're working on a park in Sydney, just north of Sydney, and a park up here on the sunny coast, which you touched on earlier. The approvals framework to get mountain bike trails in a commercial setting built is a nightmare. Like it, it's almost impossible now anywhere in Australia to do that. We're quite lucky in Medina and one of the reasons we got Hardline is because we can build the big jumps that other people just can't do. They can't get the approvals to do anything that crazy. So that's going to be hard and it's re- it sucks for the sport because if we could build, like we want three or four bike parks in Australia that can operate as one kind of cohesive whole. You can get a season pass, you can do the whole lot. But getting the approvals is impossible. So that's harder than, maybe not harder than I thought, but harder than I hoped. In terms of easier... Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't think it would be that easy to get hardline. That's for sure. It was really goddamn hard. But, and, you know, spent already hundreds of hours on just hardline and securing hardline. But I think that the reputation we'd built uh, in terms of our event delivery and venue and everything else, we were in a pretty good place. Like, it wasn't a hard sell. It, people knew that we were a good place to do it. It's just actually turning that, you know, belief in the venue to, to hardline as an event Mm. that's the hard bit but convincing people that we were the right place to do it actually wasn't that hard Mm. so that was probably easy but now the the hard work and the fun begins i suppose i was gonna say because you obviously have to have such a solid team of people around you you've had pretty much the same team since you've kind of come up and started maydean has been pretty similar yeah a few people have kind of moved on and done their own things and different things but the core team stayed pretty similar we've lost a couple over the last year or so who've um our head mechanic went over to bike park wales which was awesome like i know the bike park wales guys really well so i kind of helped facilitate mm-hmm. him getting a look in over there and moving over there so that kind of thing's awesome look we miss luke but being able to work with him to take the next step and go and work somewhere else and have new horizons over there is really cool so that's not a sad thing it's a positive thing just change yeah yeah but no reese has been around since day one i know you know reese he's amazing like he's great for helping set the tone around the bike park and kind of building that culture i'm sort of more of a background player i just kind of put my head down and stay stay in the background as much as i can but yeah he's he's awesome for that side of things so because what would his role be he'd be he's general manager um, which is probably pretty fair like he manages all kinds of shit and I still, I mean, I'm very much behind the scenes kind of helping with decision-making and marketing. And he's really, we call him Ops Guy. Like my, <laughs> my shortcut for him is Ops Guy. Like I'm kind of the dreamer and yeah. he's the guy that kind of packages that up into some kind of context that works. Like some of my ideas are a bit fucking wild. I was going <laughs> to say, how does the relationship go with you two when you come at him with something that's probably pretty out there and he's just... Yeah, we're pretty good. Like we, we had a whole bunch of... Um, biffo over the whole hardline event thing and like he wanted to do just hardline and just do the race and i was like no we need to do more and then i kind of built this whole fucking massive festival program out and he's like no it's too much (laughs) so we kind of whittled it down and then we we argued for a couple of days over the last few bits and pieces and then he kind of came around but he's like a bit more of the realist that comes into play where you're a little bit he's like you don't really need all of that i'm like yeah but i need some of it (laughs) (laughs) exactly go for year two so no it is good to like i kind of shoot a little high sometimes so it is nice to 
That's good. I feel like that's good. It's though. a great relationship. You'd rather shoot higher than lower, and he shoots high too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm kind of like over yeah. the fucking moon, and he's like, okay, just a little bit back from there is probably where we need just to tone be. It, tone it down <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, what is, what is the actual plan up here with the sunny coast, and then in Sydney, what's what what do you want to what do you want to build? Yeah, so we're chipping away. Both of them are different to Medina. They're, they're smaller elevation, as you'd know, just don't have the big hills. So, I think Medina will always be kind of the jewel in our crown, but. What we're trying to do is build out a little ecosystem of bike parks in the Southern Hemisphere. We are looking at a couple around the US, but mainly here. So ideally, we'd want one in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, possibly in Adelaide, and then obviously the park in Tassie. And then we are starting to look at something over in NZ, South Island. So I guess we just want to be able to take what we've learned with Maidena, bring in some outside investment this time, not do it all ourselves. Wouldn't do that again in a rush. And, and look, I guess Maidine is the test mule in some ways, like because we own it's it and we can fuck around yeah. with it. It's a prototype, but we can do all kinds of dumb things and the consequences are, you know, we don't have to deal with the fallout of investors and things. So yeah, we want to do that. I, I feel, feel like there's a really cool space to be able to have a range of different parks that we operate. Queensland, I'd love because I hate Maidina in winter. <laughs> we try and get out of there as much as we can. So having one up here would be epic. And something near Sydney, I just feel for anyone that lives in Sydney, the public riding, sorry, Sydney, kind of sucks. They don't have really anything. They don't have really. anything. Yeah, there's lots of cool gorilla trail. But if you want to actually ride anything official, and we've built some of it, so don't get me wrong, I'm not criticising other people. There's just not enough. And there's not enough diversity and... Sydney mountain biking publicly sucks. So we want to try and change that and bring a whole new style of riding in with that park. So we're, we're chipping away, still building that one. And the one up here is just a bit of a slow burn, to be honest. Like, yeah. But that is the plan. Next couple of years, get those get those parks online and then have the three. And then, as I say, looking at probably New Zealand next. Because, mm. again, there's a really cool space, I think, in Queenstown where you've got Skyline, but Skyline really doesn't like mountain biking. And there's no desire from that company to really do anything with mountain biking. They just kind of keep it online as a poor cousin and it's never going to get any of their attention, investment, Mm. infrastructure, anything. So that's sort of a dead end, I think. Skyline's cool, but it's never, there's no point trying to push that too much further from our perspective. It's like we tossed around ideas of like, can we try and approach these guys and see if they'd be willing to bring us in to operate and develop and whatever else. But I just don't, I don't think it's the right fit. So mm. I think we need a ground up build over there that's a little bit out of the Alpine and doing something a little bit different. Yeah. You kind of have your own flavour to it. Yeah. Kind of so it early days, very, very early days, but we, we are keen to do something over there. Definitely. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And then we can syndicate the events like Enduro Jam can be a Southern Hemisphere series and there's that whole kind of ecosystem you can build and the staff can move around between parks. Like they don't have that seasonality with Medina, like yeah, our, our revenue kind of like this across the year gets to flatten out a little bit more. So it makes life just generally easier. We can mm. bring, bring in a bigger team. So I'm not doing marketing anymore. I can bring in a marketing manager and I can bring in other people to help with stuff. Like you get a bigger organization, you can spread that workload out a little bit more. Mm. You know, get caught, go get caught up so much and just the things you actually don't want to do and start yeah going exactly. to new like, places new yep. locations building something again being that creative person like yeah that's it and look we're working with a bunch of other people like with sundays we're doing a bunch of work with them and their cable car project behind early to look at doing a bike park up there so there's a heap of things like that going on mm. which are really exciting as well and if that comes online we'll probably end up operating that one for them too so 
Just fingers yeah. in all pies. <laughs> it's all fun. I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, like you said, it's one of those things that snowballs into something else and totally. something else and just keeps building yeah, and it going just bigger. Keeps on going. Yeah, yeah it's cool though. Right, I'm gonna let you go, but yeah. before we go, I always ask. Well, I've actually asked questions as we were going, but normally I ask them at the very end. But I haven't asked one yet. What are you scared of? Yeah, I think pretty clear on that one. Just not reaching my potential. That's the biggest thing. Like, like we said, I you know I don't want to die tomorrow, but if I did. I feel like I've done a fair bit, but I just don't want to leave anything on the table. And probably under, underneath that is just letting my kids down because I'm super close to my kids and I want to give them the absolute best opportunity and experiences I can. So they're probably the two things. But yeah, not reaching potential is terrifying for me. Like just, you know, just the regret at the end. Just regret. Yeah. And that comes right back to that nursing career and kind of dealing with all of that sort of space. It's like that is, you know, what I saw other than familial kind of blow ups with people arguing with their kids while they were dying. Like that's all just a no brainer. But other than that, like just leaving too many things mm. unexplored or, you know, just leaving stuff on the table that you know you should do and you just don't have the. I don't know, you're scared. Yeah. Too scared to take the risk it's to pursue there, it. It's yeah. like, just fucking do it. Mm. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You'll fail. Yeah. People will judge you. Who cares? Mm. If they're judging you and they're being shitty about it, you don't need to care about it. They don't know so, you. They don't know you. They're not yeah. important. Like, their opinion means nothing. If they don't know you, their opinion means absolutely nothing. So you've got nothing to worry about. Mm. Do you find we kind of hide death a lot in our culture? Like, you just don't accept it and it's just not there. It's like... Go in a home, slowly die. You don't see them die, coffin, gone. Yeah, we do. And I think we should probably talk about it a bit more. Um, definitely, well, not even talk about it, but recognise that it's a part of with life. It, yeah. yeah. And understanding that, you know, we could get hit, I could, I could get ploughed down by a bus on my way out here today. You just never know. And if that, it's like you have no control over that. But it's still like everyone dies. So at some point we need to think about it and recognize it. And the one thing we all know we don't talk about, it's like how we know that. Yeah, Just I guess it it's corner. scary, right? Like it's really scary. But at the end of the day, it's going to come for all of us at some point. I guess it's hard. It's, I always quiz people on this because like you say it's scary, but it's like you don't know. It's like the whole cat in the box thing. Yeah, I mean, you don't know if it's there. It might be really rad. <laughs> it might be. You might yeah. just like fade into like some cloud and then go, oh, I'm like, I'm present, but I'm not in pain. Yeah. I'm, what, yeah. You just, again, you, you have, don't know. You don't have, yeah. have any idea. But And it, what can you do about it anyway? Like it's yeah. Yeah. Totally out of your control. It's Ex like going to sleep. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That might be the same. Um, I was going to ask you, what's a question? that you never get asked, but you really want to get asked? Is it like a thing that no one ever asks you that you, if you were to get asked, you'd be like, I've got a good, I've got a good answer for that? Or I don't know. I feel like we've covered a fair bit of ground. Um, <laughs> nothing really comes to mind. That's probably a good thing. I probably did a good job. Yeah, there. no, you've done a good if, job. If something, no, if something you, doesn't you, jump out. You've but, done a good job. Because I know sometimes I'll have people come and like interview me or yeah. ask me stuff and you're like, why don't you ask me about that? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, no, we've, we've covered some pretty good ground. I mean, a lot of people just don't go very deep, so it's nice to... You know, scratch the surface a little bit more. Yeah. No, I think uh, the, um, done well. The the whole uh, caring for patient cancer patients, that's like super fascinating to me because mm. I find those points when you're like in that state and I'm, like, I can't fully compare, but when I was obviously on the ground and yes. I thought about those things, like everything that I was about to lose and, you, and it's not like I've got regret, but I know there's so much more to life that I want to do. Mm. And I was thinking about all the things that I couldn't do in that moment. I guess yep. that's when you actually are on your deathbed, yeah. that's what's real. Uh, it's a reality. It's yep. like there's, there's no, like obviously I'm getting a lot better and I've got a second chance, but mm. for deathbed people, it's 
like this, yeah this totally is this is it yep but i just find that so fascinating that you were with so many of those people i guess that's obviously somehow crafted to who you are yeah, today it's a, it's a powerful thing i mean it's it's upsetting at the time for sure and difficult and like i was pretty good at compartmentalizing and kind of leaving that at work and trying to move on but it's it's hard yeah it's really hard but it does set that i don't know really unique view of the world where you just don't firstly you don't care too much about what people think of you because it, at the end of the day we all die it doesn't matter that much but secondly like it, just not leaving anything on the table i think for me is super important it's like don't stop short just because you were too scared to shoot a little bit further yeah was there a particular person that you cared for before they left that kind of left a profound impact yeah there were there were several there was definitely one where there was a whole lot of um angst between the mum and the son and there's a whole story around it but anyway she was really bitter to him right up to the end and i remember a conversation i had with her like the night he died and i'd worked all day so i ended up doing an 18 hour shift so i was fucking tired and i'd stayed deliberately because i knew he was going to die and i didn't wanted his care to be consistent and all that sort of stuff so I had a conversation with her and it got quite heated. And I just said, like, you know, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life, basically. And I explained to her what was happening and that he wasn't going to make it through the night. And, like, this was her last chance to make amends. And she walked away. And I remember that, like, really clearly. She actually lodged a complaint against me at the hospital and it was a whole thing. But it was like she just walked away from it. Like, she had this one chance to kind of go back to her son and you know, try and fix the issues that they were having, which was to do with she just didn't like the guy's partner. Like it was all bullshit at the end of the day, meaningless. But instead of fixing that, and I was like super clear, I was like, he's not going to make it. This is your last chance. And she just walked away. And I think for that, I, that one always stuck with me. I was tired and I was emotional and I was like, never be that person. Like that's just literally the worst thing you could possibly do in that mm. situation is just turn you back on someone when they're dying and he just died alone. Like, I mean, I sat with him, but she just walked away. It was, yeah, horrible, but powerful in another way. Mm. So yeah, there was a few like that and a few that I was quite close to younger people and things that definitely sort of reset your framework around things and the way you think about things. But yeah, very interesting time. And I took a lot from it. Yeah. That's, that's a heavy experience to, and then mm. she's got to carry that around with her forever. And that's what I said to her. Forever. I, and I said to her, look, I've sat here with over a hundred people at that point while I've died and I've dealt with all this and you will never, and this is why she put in a complaint about me. I was like, you will never forgive yourself for this. Like I'm being really firm with you because you need to understand that this will haunt you forever. And yeah, she just walked away. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty rough. Man. Yeah. Very rough. Yeah. How do you like? How do you carry that anger, and then the person's dead? That's it's it, like, right? They're, yeah, they're dead. They're gone. You're not. Yeah. Who are you angry at now? You're not even what are you angry goodbye. at? Yeah, what and it's your son. Like, oh. I mean, you don't have kids. I got kids, but I can't imagine being in that situation where you would walk away from your son. So. Well, I guess roles reverse. Like a parent, like I can't imagine no matter how angry. I, like I remember even me and my mum would fight. Yeah. And whenever we would fight, before I would leave, I'd give her a hug. Yeah, and I'm this like, is one of the reasons I'm so close to my kids. I'm like, no matter how much you've fucked up, I will always give you a hug. Like, yeah. there is no boundary between, like, you being an absolute little asshole, mm. but you can always come and cry and have a cuddle. Like, I think part of that sets the framework for how I, you know, my relationship with my kids. Mm. So it all, you know, it's all part of building you. It's horrible at the time, but it really does give you that perspective where mm. you're like, I would never 
you know, do anything yeah. even remotely close to that to my kids. It's, it's yeah. so it's such a tricky thing because it's I always think about this if I, I was to ever have kids and I'm like, you want them to struggle. But not enough that become like traumatized and bitter. Totally. Just enough yeah. that they become really good, strong-willed, happy yep. people. And that balance is—I don't know how. To oh, play. it's so hard. And we think about it all the time because, like, our kids are relatively privileged. Like, we've worked hard. We've got—you know—our houses are pretty average, but they're in nice places. Kids have great bikes. They have basically anything they want from a sporting. Like, we support anything they want to do. Like, we don't buy them a whole bunch of shit, but. Like if you want a nice bike and you're riding really well, we'll buy you a nice bike. Mm. Like they have lots of stuff and I'd never had that. Like I had shitty bikes and I struggled for everything and I worked hard. And it's like, how do you instill some of that battler (laughs) mentality into your kids when like we're not fucking super rich or anything, but it does still make you think. You don't have to say no as much as other people would have to say Yeah, exactly. Like we travel heaps and the kids have opportunities a lot of their friends don't have. Mm. And how do you still you know, take them back to the core of like, you need to struggle sometimes. Yeah. It's a hard one. I really guess is. I know. I always like the concept, meet me halfway. Like you, yeah. you want to buy a bike, yep. meet me halfway, yep. do some work or like show initiative into what are you bringing to the table? Not yep. what do you want me to bring to the table? No, it's true. And I'm making Max work for his motorbike that he wants. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, just, I can buy it for him, but I'm not going to. It's the it's same like with, um, it's same with kids, man. Kids always hit me up. Oh, can I get a Jersey? Can I get this? Mm. And I'm like, you need to bring something to the table. Yeah. Like, oh, I wrote you this letter about how much I you, drew your picture. Yeah, or be my friend. Yeah, something, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, show some effort. It doesn't have to be nah. much. Yeah. Like, when you just ask for something, it's like you're trying to take something from me. No matter how big yeah. or small that may be, I'm going to put up resistance. Yeah. You give me something that instantly opens me up. Oh, to, oh you're yeah, giving. It's true. You're so, ha- yeah. yeah, Max, my little guy, wants a, I, I won't mention the brand, but because he's going to approach them himself, wants to try and get a, a sponsorship for a frame. Yeah. And I was like, I, I've talked him through it. And yeah. I was like, you need to draw them a picture. Like, it needs to be you writing at Medina on their frame. You need yeah. to do it all branded up and like in your darker clothing and everything else that he rides for. And then you need to write them a letter and I'm going to help you and you're going to handwrite it and then I'll type one out. So we're going to send them this big package of stuff and he's drawn it all up for them with his own logos and everything else. And I mean, that's cool. It's, it goes so far, man. Yeah. It goes so much further than just going, Hey, think. give me a bike. It's like, yeah. we don't need anyone to give him a bike. He just wants that. Like yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. Again, it's being creative. It's showing you putting in work, effort, time yeah. to, to get the thing you want. Yeah, and trying to teach him to think outside the box. That's the other yeah. thing. It's like, don't just be the guy that sends an email saying, hey, I got first <laughs> at this race. I want a frame. Yeah, It's like, I don't know, that feels shitty to me. Like, we get a bunch of people wanting to do stuff with us kids and things, and you can't work with all of them. Like, mm. we have a really strong ambassador program, and we support them all financially and help them out with training and coaching and everything. But you're still saying no to a lot of people. It's the yeah. people that are actually out there doing cool shit and being good people in the community that mm. we want to work with. Or how you how you stand out? People, yeah, people are scared, man. People are real they scared. Are, even yeah. even in twenty twenty one, I had I'm not going to say his name, but like a pro racer that I looked up to, yeah. came up to me and he's like, oh, "I wish I could be more out there." This when I was doing the hair and shit, yeah, just, yeah. just doing stupid shit. And he why, came up to me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you, you can, man. It's yeah. not it's not hard. Like I'm yeah. dying my hair and just saying a bit more shit on the internet. Like it's yeah. not. And this was someone I looked up to, which was just yeah. like. That's that's a weird dynamic shift in a way. Yeah. Like in a strange but kind of fun yeah. cool way. But so. it's important too. Like you got to feel that you can be authentic. Otherwise, it's mm. not a great situation to be in potentially. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I guess that coming back to, you know, talking about Annie before, like she's someone that's so authentic and I'm yep. doing my shit. 
and it's like you create this aura around you. Yeah. Like I know I met her hanging off a bike rack going from Derby up to the Stoke Wizards house and we're just literally swinging off this yeah. bike rack going up. And you know when you see someone, like you have like an aura. Like yeah, you have a really, energy. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. you want to help and you want to do good and you can, yep. you can feel it in people straight away. And, and that's like, what I've said to her a few times. It's like she was having sort of debates around friends and people and different things. And I was like, the, the right people are going to find you and you'll know who <laughs> they are at some point. Like, yeah. it's going to be very fucking obvious and you just need to have a think about the people that are latching onto you because they want you to take them along for the ride mm. and the people that are actually drawn to you because they want to help and support you and mm. be part of the ride. That's a different mentality. Like, there'll always be people trying to hang off you when you're on your upward trajectory, but... Mm. You know, having the right people there is is really important, and you know who they are. Like it's it's obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's no motives behind it. You know, totally. like oh, I'm yeah. Because sh- people love men. They love getting the shine or the rub. Yeah. It's like oh, got, I'm hanging out with this person. I get a bit of their rub, and it'll lift yep. me up in a social or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, that's not. And we get that. Look, the number of people that have reached out to me wanting to get involved in the Hardline Project, build athlete roster, everything else, and some of them are people that have been pretty shitty with me in the past, and just. You know, just being crappy people. And I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, do you actually think that I'm just going to bring you in when we've got something cool happening? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I'm not going to sit there in the group of like Warner and the crew talking about the athlete list and put you forward because you, you've been shit. <laughs> like, yeah, it does count. Like, being a decent person all the way along will get you far. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, people notice. It's not like, oh, okay, you're a good person today, you're a shit person And that's tomorrow. not holding a grudge. It's just that, like, reality. in that particular situation, I've got 50 people that want to be involved in the hardline build and 10 spots. So I'm going to pick the top 10. And there's 30 riders and we've got Can we get a run through of the day? Do <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but it's funny. Like, you get heaps of it. It's like, yeah. yeah, okay. Where were you, like, five years ago when, you know, you were being shitty about something. Yeah, people yeah. people don't forget things. Like no. People, and it's not, like you said, it's not in a spiteful, angry no, way. it's not but a it's grudge. It's just, like, if you've only got a limited capacity to bring people along for the ride, like, I want the best people on the ride. Mm. at the end of the day and if you've been shitty and you're still being shitty like i'm not going to bring you on board like, yeah it doesn't yeah, work that's the like point that. yeah i'll ask you one more qu- wait, yeah one more question before we go i really need to go to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> load up um before we go i was going to ask you who is going to be well i've got a two-part question who's going to be like the test rider for mm. for hardline yep. and like the kind of head builder yeah, so Darcy Coates is our lead in the construction space. So Darcy's obviously raced World Cup, as you'd know. Strong jumper and, you know, solid guy. So he's been building trails for us for forever. So Darcy is keen to test and I've said to him, I will support him through that process. We are going to bring in other people or another person to help in that process just so that there's another opinion to bounce off. Like I can stand there and go, this is great and I've worked really closely with Dars to get all the dimensions and things dialed in, but I'm not going to jump it. So like maybe years ago I would have, but I'm not jumping it now. So my opinion's not that valid. Like it's valid because I've a lot of experience, but this is a whole other dimension of scale and things. So no, Dars with support will be doing it and we've got a whole framework around how we're going to test and when we're going to test and what infrastructure we'll have in place with airbags and other things to test in, a, in the safest possible way. So there is a whole system around that. It's not just a willy-nilly, hey, we built this today, we're going to go send it. It's like there is no testing on Hardline until it's gone through the process. The process. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. But no, Dars is awesome. He 
yeah, building some crazy stuff there now. Really, really cool. When do you think that's going to be – you can start testing top to bottom? Yeah, January at some point is the plan. So we had um, Win Masters come into a course, a little sneak peek the other day. I think you noticed Winnie was down there. Yeah, so, seen that. Yeah, he was just having a quick look. Uh, we'll do like a, a full kind of course preview and testing around January. Um, unlike, I think Wales left it pretty late last time for various different reasons and they were still dialing things in the week of the event. Like we want it to be ready to roll for the event so there's not tweaking and changes during the event week if we can avoid it. Mm. But it's hard because it's so big. Like you really are pushing the absolute limit of how far you can jump a bike. So it's like how far is too far? And yeah. is that not far enough? Like when you're pushing that close to the bleeding edge, they've you know, the, the risk yeah. of failure is relatively high. So, yeah, we're really cognizant of that and trying to make sure there's a really safe framework in place. Like, we want it to be a spectacle and we want it to be huge and massive and, you know, literally the gnarliest downhill course ever. But equally, as I said earlier, like, I want everyone to walk away mm. and be happy and healthy at the end of it. You want to just, like, flirt with her for a bit. I want to take her home. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just maybe yeah. second date later on. Buy her a drink or Yeah, two, something like that. Yeah. Just, just leave her just, at the party. Yeah, <laughs> get out of there safe. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was I going to say? Actually, I was just going to ask one more thing and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, what's it like you seeing someone like Dan Booker who's obviously come up racing there, living there, building there, yep. come through and obviously he got second there this year. Obviously, Luke won as well. But, like, seeing yep. that place create an athlete like that who's now racing and yep. is one of the top athletes in the world. Like how is that to see that? Oh, it's so cool. Honestly, that is one of the best things like that and seeing all the young kids just come out and ride and have fun are the two things that really motivate me to keep doing it. But yeah, that athlete progression. I mean, Dan's just such a lovely kid. I mean, you'd know him. Oh, do you? No I, want get, I want to get him on here. I think he's absolutely. Yeah, he's such a good guy and he's got a really unique perspective and he's just one of those really grounded humans. That's mm. just a lovely dude. So no, all the time in the world for Dan um yeah and and look sasha has done really well like yeah it's an amazing yeah. year so we've done what we can to try and support those guys i helped dan out a bunch early on helping sasha out over the last year like trying to do what we can to kind of get them up there into the team structure like one day we'd love to have a, our own world cup development team that's my little dream that Medina can kind of be the training ground and we feed people up into the the bigger teams. But I'll pick some kids for you. Yeah, I'm sure you're <laughs> onto it. Yeah. But that's the aim. Like I'd love to do that. Absolutely love to do it. But no, it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah, no, that's epic. It was yeah, it's funny to talk about Dan. Like, you know, when you're around someone and like it came kind of like Annie as well, like those people that you just know are really good people. Yep. And we're at where were we? It was after the um EDR and yep. we went up to the Stoke Wizards house and I just yeah. seen Dan. And for whatever reason, I saw him and I was just like, man, you're just a really good dude. And I said something like just, yeah. just being just overly nice, but he's someone yeah. that like will pull that out of you oh, because totally. of how he is. Yeah, yeah. And then what's his girlfriend's name? Oh, Brooke. Brooke. Yeah. She came, kind of pulled me aside yeah. and I almost thought she was going to like not have a go at me, but she was like, can, can you come here for a sec? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, is everything all good? And she was like, why did you, why did you say like all those nice things? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. He's just a good dude. And I just <laughs> felt, felt like saying it. She's yeah. like, that's really nice. That's really yeah. cool that you did that. And I hadn't thought about yeah. it, but, but I guess. People don't say that shit. I, yeah. I think that's like. But I think people, yeah. they don't put that out there that like Dan, someone that is just very openly himself. And yeah. because of that, he lets you, gives you the opportunity to be open to him. True. I think people that yeah, close off. Get it out of people. Yeah. It's hard mm. to go up to someone and be really open and raw with them if they're a bit shut off. And yeah. it's not that they're a bad person. They're just yeah. not as open as someone like No, that it's guy. true. Yeah, so. it's really true. No, he's a really good dude for that. 
Yeah, yeah really good dude. That's and it. yeah, we, we're stoked having him around the park. Builds a mean trail too. So yeah, hopefully can, we can get him on the hard line build a little bit. We'll yeah, get him to come up. Yeah. Oh man, I followed him there one time and I was just like, I can't ride a bike as fast as you. Well, not in May Dino. It's easy too. Like yeah, he's got style. everything covered. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a freak. He's one of those people you you do a clip and you're like, I felt good, and then you see him do it, and you're like, I know, oh, you're just like, delete right. mine, yeah, just get just rid of it, focus on just, yeah, don't worry about it. All right, Frenchie, cheers for that. No, really thank appreciate you. it. Good chat. Go get some food. Easy as yeah. Oh, lock her off. Yeah. Thank you, mate.